sauce. Hey everyone, welcome to Go Live, the uh, Saturday evening talk show, and we have an excellent show for you today. Um, we always have an excellent show for you. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, that very long intro was done by Isla, who is amazing. Isla, thank you so much. I just seen it for the first time. Your skills keep getting better. I, I can't do what you do. Thank you so much, everyone, for chat. Smash that like button or wait till the show is done and you can cast judgment on us and how good the show is, but I promise you it's going to be a great one. Uh, before I introduce our amazing, amazing guests, let me introduce uh, the co-founder and co-host of Game On Daily, Acer. How are you? I'm great, Gaz, and hi, Gaz, and everybody else. Um, you know, week on week we're here, and we always bring the sauce. That's Gaz's thing. Today we've got some more to get our teeth into as well, so I'm, I'm properly excited for this. Uh, absolutely. So, so am I. And uh, returning to the show is a good friend of ours, and always, always good to see a smile on his face. He's going to be joining us in absolutely grilling, David. No, uh, <laughs> no, actually talking about topics. So, just to get let everyone know the format. Initially, we're going to ask David a few questions about the because in 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 industry questions and what's happening, and then we'll go on to topical stuff, what's happening in the industry. But Josh, how are you doing, Thanks. sir? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me back. This is so. This is my third time on the show. Am I officially a regular or am I a recurring you're, guest? I don't know what what I'm called, but I'm glad to be here. You're you're, you're a purveyor of the sauce. You're a part of the family now. So, awesome. Yeah, and I'm so more than happy for you to be here. Thank you so much as well for coming on, man. It's uh, always a pleasure. And I, I know we meet, we met through Tony, uh, but it's been great. Everyone loves you um, on the show. Thank you. Great. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. And David, good to good to meet you. And uh, look forward to the show. Yeah, absolutely. David, last but not least, the uh, technical director at Codemasters, who have, has been, I'm sure, very, very busy. Thank you so much. It's an absolute honor and a pleasure for, uh, for us to have you on here again. Wow. Well, thank you for such a nice intro. And uh, it's, it's always a pleasure to be with you guys. Thank you so much for inviting me back on the show. No, thank you for being here. Um, last time we had you on, you had... Um, I think short, longer hair and a beard, but that's disappeared. <laughs> but it's good. To, and But that's not the only thing that's changed. Um, in fact, actually, the biggest thing, well, a lot has changed. A lot has changed. Yeah. Um, I, if I remember correctly, when we were talking last time, uh, there, there was talks about an acquisition in the works. But that acquisition wasn't with who the company was that ended up taking you over. It wasn't Take Two. It was actually EA now has taken, taken that's over. Right, that's right. I now am technical director at Codemasters Cheshire and EA Company. Wow. Congratulations, Aaron Order. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us now that your elevated state is at EA to grace <laughs> us small people. But I think Acer has some, uh, some good questions on this. He's going to start grilling on it. He's the look. Just to explain, you probably figured this out last time you were here. Ace is the brains behind the whole thing. So you as tech director and him are the perfect match. So forgive me for anything or ignorance on the tech side of things. Ace, take over. You are the one. Here. Right. No, I'm definitely not the brains. When I'm sitting um, alongside someone like David, who is genuinely an expert in all of this stuff. No, I'm just I'm just a guy asking the questions. But um, EA, so you're probably aware before you went there. But among gamers, they've had a fairly negative reputation not necessarily fairly but they won this like worst company in the world award three years in a row on the right. other side i know full well that um they've had loads of positive awards from employees for being a great place to work and being really supportive of their employees and things like that the question is more with covid going on and everyone working from home like how are ea 
integrating you into their teams and how's it been for the first couple of months as it were right so um wow this is a really big question and i'm trying to figure out where to start so integrating a, any company um of any of any reasonable size into such a larger company as well is a really time consuming process um when you think about starting a new job and this is how i talk about it at the company with the team that when you start a new job it takes you like three weeks to remember people's names uh where did they leave the coffee where's the bathroom all that kind of stuff yeah. and so imagine what that's like when you take hundreds of people and merge them with thousands of people that's that's yeah. very complicated um the teams at ea have honestly been absolutely amazing just amazing uh, we've had the, the, uh, such a really great warm welcome um really clear understanding of what the, the culture and philosophy is in how EA make video games, most importantly, why. Um, really talking about putting the player first and being player centric and talking about what we're doing as games and making games is, it's, EA talk about it as being an art, which is just not what I'm used to. It, it's not what I'm expecting from large, when I say not what I'm used to, I mean in my career having worked with uh, large companies, it's not always spoken about in such a, a respectful way. Um, so my experience with working with AI already has been um, incredible, just just really fun and helpful. And everybody I've spoken to has said, we need to do what's right for your title, what's right for your your game, for your studio. And that's that's been great. It's been really good. But it's absolutely early days. Um, we've, it, it will take a long time to figure out what are all the, the ways of doing things? How do we operate uh, and all that stuff? So I, I really don't have that much to say on it, apart from my experience so far has been absolutely positive. I have zero complaints. I mean, that, yeah, that, that in could, itself, yeah. sorry, guys, go on. No, oh, okay. I was so... just gonna say, <laughs> that in itself is great <laughs> to hear. Like, I'm glad that it's going well for you. Um, also, so last time I spoke to you, you had the acquisition going on, but obviously you just released Dirt 5 as well. Um, yeah. Let's tie this back to the acquisition, actually. One of the things that you said that was a little bit surprising for me last time we spoke was that as Codemasters, you didn't necessarily share technology between the studios that much. Is that something that you expect to change a lot at EA, where I imagine it's a lot more commonplace in their well-oiled machine? So, um, trying to figure out what I can and can't say about this. Mm -hmm. the, basically, um, the message has been very clear. Um, keep doing what you're doing. So. Okay. We're always looking to to share technology amongst the studios at Codemasters, but we have to do what's right for our games. So, for example, um, uh, we might pick up some animation code from, or even animation assets, like Crowd or something like that, from one game to another, but it might not make sense for me to grab the physics code from Dirt Rally, for example, for Dirt, if it's a far more accessible arcade-style racing game. Um, it, there are just different, even within the racing genre, there's different nuances and different things that you want to push. So trying to figure out what's right for your game and and making sure that the, the game is first, not just making our lives easier. Uh, that That's a key element. So it, I expect that... I've already had some chats with some people in EA about what tech is available and what what resources are available, but none of that has been pushed on me in a way that says you must use our things. It, 
I've seen the threads, right? I've seen people saying, oh, it's going to be the EA way. Everything's going to be the EA way, EA or a highway or something, you know? Yeah. And that's not been my experience at all. Of course, being one business, there's business goals and all that kind of stuff that makes sense. But, but no, it's been very much, this is an art form. Do what's right for your game. Do you know, I promise it's I wasn't trying to frame that as a negative, but um, sorry, go on, Josh, that's a question. I was going to say, well, two things. It's interesting hearing that they think of video games as art and we don't think of EA as that, but it's literally in their name. So that's in a way kind of not surprising. But the the other thing is, uh, you know, on the sharing technology, now I'm not a developer. I have no idea what goes on behind the scenes. Uh, but it, from a, like a gamer's perspective, someone who pays close attention, it seems like maybe EA has learned some valuable lessons because I think back to uh, um, uh, Mass Effect Andromeda, and I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that they used Frostbite for that game, and that was kind of a source of some of the growing pains that that title faced, at least that's what I remember reading. And obviously that game, you know, has a uh, not, the, not the best history. So I wonder, you know, if that, and then Respawn, like they, it seems like they've been really hands-off with Respawn, that um, as a as the gamer, when I see these acquisitions, I always hope I hope that they just let that company do what they do best. You know, obviously, Codemasters has had some success. That's probably why they bought you guys. And uh, uh, my hope as a gamer is that they just let you, yeah, do what you do. Cool. I mean, um, I, I can't really comment on like what, what has gone on at EA before, but as a gamer, I look at games like uh, I mean, I, I played hundreds of hours of Titanfall One. And I, I love multiplayer in Titanfall 2. I'm a, a weirdo that hasn't actually got around to playing the single player yet, but everybody tells me how fantastic it is. Jedi Fallen Order. Yeah. EA have tons of great games. And I think that, I don't know, you, they're continuing to just consider how can we make our games better and better and better. And yeah, I, I really don't have a lot to say on that because I'm mostly focused on um, what are we doing at, at Codemasters, Codemasters Cheshire particularly. I was thinking of it more of in the positive sense because I was like, uh, I was that kind of got. So when that happened, I was like, I was getting really excited by the prospect of, hey, the Battlefield guys, Dice could come and say, hey, we like your vehicle physics and all. I mean, the whole thing about shared tech is the whole big reason why Bethesda's acquisition of Microsoft gets me really excited. Id Tech working with other stuff. They've, the studios have talked about Sea of Thieves devs on their water tech using it on other games, Codemaster stuff with their racing models and other games. I hope that, uh, so I wasn't the whole point of let leave us alone. It was more like, hey, we're a big happy family. You wanna, let's see what you've got. Can we uh, take stuff in? Is that, do you, are you hoping that's the case? I know it's very early days. You guys haven't even settled in, but. I mean, those kind of questions, uh, as I said, it takes a long time to even figure out who are the people that you ask of those questions. <laughs> yeah, Because uh, yeah. it's not like, I don't know, trying to figure out what are, what are the pieces of technology that are available um, at any video game company, there's always a, a thing called technical debt where you end up looking at what the player perceives as being really great technology, but it's actually stuck together with chewing gum and sticky tape. And <laughs> that that's true. Uh, almost any developer I've ever worked at and everything at EA might be amazing. I haven't seen any of the code yet. It's not that like I'm digging in or all that stuff, but really finding the people that you, that you want to, to get to know, how are you going to partner with them? Um, how are you going to share resources to be able to pull that technology into those games those opportunities are obviously there for the future but um with covid it must be difficult those things, yeah yeah, yeah COVID. all right covid is um covid is a challenge uh, yeah man. 
everybody working from home. Um, yeah, it's it's difficult to work out the the challenges of, of even making a, a video game without doing it internationally or, um, to, or or with different kind of distributed teams. One of the bigger challenges at the moment is how do I get daily copies of the title to my house and to every <laughs> staff member so that we can try out the new builds. So those are challenges. So it oh. takes up a long time, right, to download. Let's say you publish the new version of the game to our internal servers in the morning. You want to review it in time for the meeting before lunch, but it's 60 gig and does does it show up in time or, you know, not everybody has Virgin Fiber at home, you know. So are, are you actually looking forward to that, like calming down and going back into the offices and working together? Or oh, because a lot of places like where a lot of places where they work, they've made permanent changes. Now they've seen uh, we can cut overheads and work remotely. Is that like the case with you guys or are you guys rearing to come back together so uh i want to be clear in saying we don't have a company or i'm not aware of the company position on this yet so okay okay um, i think we're still figuring that out but from, from a personal perspective i'm i really want to see my team um yeah. i want to sit down and play with them and you have to remember that we shipped dirt five in november we weren't together when we did it so I haven't even oh, seen the team since we shipped the game. We see each other online, but it's not the same. And you're not having yeah. voice chat with everybody all at once. Um, my personal view is that I expect that the genie's out of the bottle on this, right? So we've figured out that there are certain hurdles to overcome for working from home, but I don't, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that it will be the norm for everyone in every studio and every company. Um, and so I don't really know what we're going to do. I think it depends on what your studio culture is like. And, and at Codemasters Cheshire, we have a really strong um, culture on spending face-to-face -face time. We don't, we prefer being with each other, going for coffee, playing a game of pool while we argue about game mechanics or something like that, rather than doing it on voice chat or email or something. Um, so I'm not quite sure how it's going to shake out, but, but that's what our culture was like beforehand. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, cool. it, yeah. It's a... I, I'm just going to move it on to Dirt 5 now a little bit. Well, <laughs> it's interesting you were saying the title then, like it could have been anything that you're working on. But um, last time we spoke, um, we were talking about Dirt 5 and the potential for a Dirt 6 or whatever it might be in future. And at that point in time, it was a little bit up in the air as to whether the plan was to, to keep plugging content into Dirt 5 for years to come mm -hmm. or whether Dirt 6 would be on the agenda. And now you've obviously been acquired by EA and they've I think they've said publicly that they're looking for a cadence of like one racing game a year between a lot of racing studios. How's, mm. What's the immediate kind of roadmap for, for the Dirt series? So I have nothing to announce about the roadmap for the Dirt series <laughs> at this point. Um, <laughs> So if anyone wants to take away a quote about me saying something like that, don't because I have nothing to announce. But um, I think that, that that statement, we want to have a cadence of racing games, I, I'm not aware of the wider EA publishing plan for that. I, I don't work in publishing. But now EA have a whole bunch of racing game studios and one of them is F1 and that's an annual game anyway. So that, that quote, I saw, the, I saw the quote and I saw the threads talking about it and all that stuff. But we're Codemasters, we've got a bunch of racing games and an annual one is not a problem for us at this point, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
what what about so since since well we bought the game at launch and it was a it wasn't on game pass then but now mm. it's on game pass and would love to know what the impact because everyone been waxing lyrical about how good game pass is what's the impact been for dirt 5 and game pass it's been absolutely fantastic just fantastic yeah, yeah so um you might have noticed that we've been giving um, regular content drops for Dirt 5, just making sure that we add new campaigns and new cars and playground objects, features. And we're taking on player feedback and trying to address the different things that people might want changed or added. Um, but in terms of player counts, I'm not going to give a number because I'm sure <laughs> I can get wrong, but it was shockingly huge. It, it, oh. was, it was crazy. Hmm. Um, so. Previously, we were looking at, you know, the player graph for daily. And we're like, oh, okay, cool, this is going really well. And then suddenly, oh, Game Pass, and it it was crazy. So we were we were really pleased to see that level of engagement. It was really great to see how that had such a positive effect on the game and the way it's talked about, and um, that that continues as well. In the Game Pass had obviously an initial massive push, but it's sustained. I expect it to. Obviously, it's not the same on the second week. But it's yeah. not, it's not a drop like that. It's, it's still, still going. Up. Yeah, it's still going and I'm still seeing really great numbers. So super pleased with Game Pass. Um, just a brilliant thing for the game. That's amazing. Yeah. Is it, uh, this is kind of a broader question that I'm curious about, but it, is it a big deal for a developer to get its game on Game Pass? Like, is there some level of prestige with that where it's like, you know you're in and you get this this boost as a result I, I don't know if you can answer that but i'm i'm very curious about what oh, developers think i think that's a, a great question so um is there a prestige to it yeah i think so in the it's nice to be able to talk about it with your friends and your friends can all just go pick it up because they're on if they're game pass subscribers and all that kind of stuff and working on a title like that five of, of course we're, we're human beings we want our friends to notice it and to check it out and play it um yeah. but there's a level of fear as a technical director um, because let's say I'll pick a random number. But let, in, fact, in fact, I'll pick a small number. Let's <laughs> say you had 5,000 players on, because you went on Game Pass. It was much more than that. But um, let's say that you had 5,000 players. And for you, that's a big deal because servers are really flaky. And so you bring the game out on Game Pass and the whole thing falls over because suddenly now you've got a huge influx for you yeah. of players that's that's a scary thing and so um going on to game pass firstly the the teams at microsoft were super helpful um at just helping us out what we should expect um what are the kind of things that we should anticipate how do we communicate that across our teams who do we reach out to if there's a problem um we had we, we actually did have a problem and it wasn't anything to do with any of the, the server tech or anything like that. It was just an optimization issue on one of the servers. And so we had to take two hours of downtime. And, and I was very pleased with this. This is a <laughs> win for me. Um, so I was talking to one of my server engineers. He was very unhappy that we had downtime. I said, we had two hours of downtime in the life of the product. Mm. That's, so, you know, so far, I'm, I'm super, super happy with it. But yeah, it's... Game Pass isn't a thing that you can just lob your title into and just say, oh, yeah, sure, it'll be fine. You do have to think about it and plan. Make sure that the content's going to be available. Like if you've got a, a new content drop coming, you want that to come around the same time so mm. that you can see that it adds all to the buzz. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's definitely 
an interesting proposition to think about what's the impact to your title. Might be a good time to publish some of it to kind of publicize the more social elements of your title when you've got more players coming in at that point. Yeah, but it's, it's the kind of thing you think about for, I don't know. Like, for the length of the yeah. time it's there on the service, I guess. Oh, I mean a year in advance. So oh. um, like I've seen some people say, oh, so, you know, when, so you just signed a deal with Microsoft and put it on. Like, well, no, that's, that's not how these things work. You, you don't sign a deal and get it on Game Pass a week later or something. <laughs> these things, they're planned, they're coordinated. And mm. think about, well, where is the, how does that fit into your service of the game going forward? Are you a good point in the service to introduce that many more players? And yeah, it's, it's carefully planned. Yeah, I'm Thanks. sure there's a sense of trepidation there as well for you guys. Because this is uncharted territory almost. This is new, breaking new ground. No, like Game Pass and these subscription services are a bit, just like, was that going to eat into our, or was that a no-brainer for you? Well, for me, the finances of it are just nothing to do with me, which is great. Oh, okay, um, yeah, perfect. So, uh, I get asked to be involved in those kind of deals just to, to validate from a technical perspective. But in terms of, does it make financial sense? What was the deal? All that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, I have no information to share with you. I'm sorry. No, that's fine. Can I just no. ask, this is, I know you won't be able to give any detail on this at all, but as individual developers working for Codemasters Cheshire, does being on Game Pass have a material difference on your kind of, um, I don't know, bonus schemes or anything like that on an individual level? Uh, at Codemasters, it doesn't work that way. No. Um, yeah. yeah, fair enough. Uh, <laughs> um, I'm very happy with how it panned out for Dirt 5 on the individual level. Yeah. That's great. That's really good. And, and this, it's just been a resounding positivity for this service, just for anyone who, who, who gets asked this question. Any dev wax um, lyrical about it. Thomas Sala yeah. loves it, loves Game Pass. Yeah, he, I, he was supposed to come on today as well, and he he said he loves your he loves Dirt Five. By the way, I can show you the messages. He said, "Oh man, I'd love to come on," uh, but he's got something big in the works that I'm not allowed to talk about. <laughs> but he really <laughs> he, he 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 passes his regards on. By the way, lovely guy. Um, I also want to read out the super chat. Shout, shout, thank you so much, Double Barrel Gaming, aka Mr. Boom. Thanks so much for the five dollar super chat. He goes, I just wanted to say that Dirt Five is still one of my favorite games of last year. And I love everything about it. Hashtag more, please. Um, so Thank yeah, you very much. that's very good. That's very funny. Yeah, yeah we we uh, have continued to work on Dirt Five. I can't talk about what the future is. Um, I do not have permission for that kind of thing. But, um, <laughs> just very... based on the size of your smile, everyone, Dirt <laughs> Six has been confirmed. No, just <laughs> <laughs> No, but honestly, uh, Mr. Boomstick is a is a big uh, big uh, personality in the podcasting scene, and I was on a show the other day, and all he plays is Dirt Five B uh, B roll footage of him playing terribly, terribly at the game. Sorry, Boom, after making giving the super chat. Of course, he's yeah. probably better than I am. I'm not very good at it, but um, <laughs> I I have a particular car, a particular track, and I, I find that I end up playing that for like a few hours a week at least. And people in, in the studio are saying. Why, why do you always play the same thing? Like, you play <laughs> loads of stuff. It's just comfortable for me. I just pick it up and I just start driving and I'm having a meeting at the same time. And that's one of the nice things about being a game developer that you can play video games while you're in meetings and no one's. Oh, man. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. I, in fact, I do it right here because, you know, my TV's just there and there's a Series S just out of shot. And 
so I get to play 120 hertz right here. It's nice. Oh man, <laughs> oh, it just makes us feel guilt, uh, jealous again. I wish I could do that. Um, Isabel, thank you so much for the twenty dollar Canadian super chat. Because question for David, um, I haven't vetted these questions, David, so feel free to say you can't ask them. Since launch, I watched Digital Foundry, and I still see some games perform better on PS5 and others on Series X. Why is it, in your opinion, is it difficult to learn how to use the new tools? Will it get better? Um, we're actually going to get into that, aren't we, Ace? Uh, we are. Yeah. If question. we so, Isabel, thank you very much for that question. But we have quite a lot on that to discuss he's hmm. a technical director so we're going to get into the technical stuff very soon <laughs> yeah yeah um, Asa, you might as well go and talk about it now so like um well let's in that case let's start we'll go straight off with um with isma's question there then so um when dirt 5 launched it was the launch of the two consoles um digital Foundry had a look into it and particularly the 120 hertz mode wasn't performing yeah. to the same level on the xbox what was kind of key to i know that was resolved over time what was, what was key to it what changed so, <laughs> uh, it's there are a bunch of different challenges that come up in trying to ship any game on on any date, right? And the complexity of the number of different consoles that we shipped on, plus the number of quality configurations that we did, plus COVID and working from home, and, and let me explain that. So. Um, if you think about the Xbox Series X version, we had a quality configuration for um, resolution mode, performance, and 120 hertz. Uh, I can't actually remember if those were what the names were with, that we used for them, but there were three. Yeah. And then you had another three for Series S, which are completely different configuration. And then again for PS5, PS4, um, Xbox One, and slightly different configurations for Xbox One S, plus a bunch of PC. And stay How do you test all of those things? Yeah. When, when you go to COVID, right? In, normally in the studio, you would just have a farms of this hardware with farms of QA people who work really, really hard and do incredible, invaluable work. Really, I think we had. I don't want. I don't want to put a number on it, but it, it was like five hundred and twenty hertz TVs for the studio. You know, five, five yeah, yeah, TVs. Five, because. There was, they, they just don't, you could use monitors at a stretch, but that's not the same as having a TV. Yeah. Uh, I was bringing hardware to my house to use this TV. I, in fact, I use this TV in development on Dirt 5. It's like, that. those are some of the challenges that come up. And partners like Sony and Microsoft were incredibly helpful and lenient, uh, allowing us to take our development kits home because they understood this is a problem. We, we need you to get the games out for these consoles, guys. So yeah. hardware, harder for you to, to make the games is counterproductive. Um, so they were really, really helpful. But ultimately, I would chalk it up to it was a bug. It wasn't a problem with the Xbox yeah. hardware or anything like that or tooling. It was just a bug. And it took us some time because we wanted to make sure that we got it right. Um, we had the fix within soon as it, as soon as we saw the digital foundry report, we went and looked at it and I think it was fixed in hours, hmm. not, not days, but it's too late at that point. People got their hands on the game. You want to get it out, but you need to make sure that it's been tested. It's correct. There's no point in trying to rush a fix through and have it in the hands of gamers and then be upset that it's not 
a full complete issue. If you if you create another bug, that's just going to create another storm. So we sat on it for a while to make sure that it was okay, and then we got it fixed. I think well, they even called it in that video. If I remember that one of the Digital Foundries guys was like, I'm betting that this is a software issue, not a hardware yeah. issue. And, mm -hmm. and uh, Correct. Yeah. yeah. And they really, the guys at Digital Foundry are great. I have no, I have no beef with them for calling us out on a bug. That's their job. That's what they should be doing. Um, they were very kind and sent me a message to say, hey, we're seeing some weird stuff in the, in the video. Obviously, the video will be out tomorrow. I didn't get to see the video in advance. They're super... Uh, their integrity is clear uh, as yeah. journalists and it, it was just nice that they let me know um so i could go and investigate it and actually i, I really couldn't investigate because i didn't have the footage until the video went live but i knew there was something up and we would figure it out yeah it's got to be tough man like <laughs> shipping a game the way you just described it sounds utterly impossible and then you see these things pop up of course a lot of positive stuff popped up people love dirt 5 and it was a beautiful game and uh, plays well, but when you see something like that, it's got to feel like you're getting kicked in the nuts a little bit. <laughs> on, on social yeah. media, especially. I guess it it felt like um, there was some confusion around the bug, in that people felt that oh, this is must, what it must look like all of the time. When it <laughs> yeah. only happened if you were in 120 FPS mode, which meant like I have the stats. It's it's not everyone playing in 120 FPS. There are a ton of people doing it, but. It, it certainly wasn't an issue that was affecting everyone, and there's a workaround because you can switch back to performance mode. But mm. that that didn't. Developers want to ship their games with without that kind of issue, right? Of course, it's, yeah. it's upsetting, but all you can do is apologize, fix it, and move on. That, that's all you can do. Um, and and we're right to be called on it, right? In that gamers have paid their money; they want a great product. We want to give them a great product these things happen it's, it's one of those things but wonderfully this isn't like the snes mega drive games we we can fix those issues <laughs> yeah we issue a cartridge or something so getting an update to to players is not a painful thing can i just ask you mentioned there um i know you didn't specifically give a stat and maybe you can't but you mentioned you've got the stats for how many people are playing in this high refresh rate and possibly how many people have the variable refresh rate are you able to give us like a rough indication of how widespread these are for you Nope, I don't have the numbers to hand. Sorry, mm -hmm. I do. We do have all of the, all of that information, but I, I just don't know the numbers off the top of my head. That's fair enough. That's mm. fair enough. Um, back when you launched the game, then, so we were speaking to you. I think it was in November that we spoke, and there was a lot of um, talk going around at that point in time about um, whether the tools were ready on the Xbox side, what's going on, on the PlayStation side. There's a, there's a couple of questions to spawn off of this. Let's start with PlayStation because I think the answer will be quite short and sharp here, won't it? Um, back in November, there was very little that you could talk about in terms of specifics with Smart Shift and the Geometry Engine and the things that we kind of hear the names of but no detail on. Is anything kind of loosened up there or are we still I'm not going to know? <laughs> I guess, the, so I, I need to be careful about the, the, those kind of questions, right? Because um, Microsoft and Sony are partners with, with Codemasters and EA. Um, and I have to sign non-disclosure agreements to, in order to keep their secrets. Oh, um, but the things that they've talked about publicly, they, they've talked about the, the strengths and the strengths of their consoles, and they've made certain technical choices for each one of their machines for reasons that, that they have, that they want to make, um, that they believe that those choices are going to produce a better console. Um, in terms of tooling, I see lots of discussions about the tools aren't ready for this, the tools aren't ready for that. 
spoilers, the tools are never ready for anything at launch. Like, that's just <laughs> how it is. The, yeah. the, the SDKs for PlayStation have been upgraded since it launched. The SDKs for Xbox have been upgraded since launch. Bugs are found. Updates are issued. If you think about how um, a video game comes out and bugs are found, much like in Dirt 5 and many other video games, and an update comes out the following week, we're talking about the game. The SDK is no different. And plus, there'll be new features. So SDK features are upgraded and improved, and those can be developer-facing features, user-facing features. Um, updates for those things happen all the time. So, but um, uh, just to throw a spanner in there, just so we had R Remedies, Thomas Puha came on, I think with the IGN, and he specifically pointed out at the tools and he said that Sony didn't change their dev tools too much and they stuck to what they knew, uh, whereas Microsoft opted to change a lot of things. And he cited, and I'll, let me quote, because these are discussions, there are discussions about teraflops and this and that, but it's just numbers. Ultimately the tools, everything matters so much more, but how it's all brought together. It matters so much more than purely teraflop numbers. He alluded quite clearly that the tools were long-term, these changes that Microsoft opted to make would benefit the Xbox long-term. When we spoke to you, you kind of gave the impression that maybe the tools, well, they weren't, they were, you thought they were pretty well advanced. Seems like there's a bit of a conflict there between yeah, what you two are saying. We actually get in a room, we can argue about it. <laughs> It's, a, it's just a different take, right? So I wouldn't yeah. say the the Xbox tools did change, right? They weren't the same tools from Xbox One to Series X. Microsoft have called that out publicly. Yeah. Um, now, we we moved on to, it was called GDK, the new tooling for Xbox. And we moved to that, oh, crumbs, like a year before we got hardware so oh. that we could, we could try it out because you could use those tools on Xbox One. And that was the advice given from the, the Microsoft Teams that if you wanted to get a heads up on this, do so. And so by the time we started really looking at the Series X version, when hardware showed up, we'd already moved to it. We, we'd already done all of the, the changing. Um, and if there was pain to be had, it, it's always painful changing from one tool set to another. Yeah. But it, it just wasn't a big deal. Um, we were free to look at how were we going to make this work on Series X and what was the performance available to us. Um, I think that like any any first launch game for a console, if you look, if you go back and look at, at launch games for any previous uh, hardware release, they never push the hardware as far as they're going to go because you've got to spend time yeah. on the tricks, learn how does it work. <coughs> Excuse me. And... I think there's tons to squeeze out of both of these systems, tons. Um, Dirt 5, very, very proud of the game. I think we achieved a lot under incredible circumstances and, and you know, very pleased with it. The team did an amazing job and we will do more. You know, Whether um, that's I think the next game, that's not the finale. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Josh is already saying, like, as a team, you, you can be really really proud of, of what you delivered there there wasn't much at launch that compared with what you did in terms of the breadth of the systems that you launched on so I, you sounded a little bit despondent when you said oh this this bug was found by digital foundry and it, it was too late by then but actually you did a phenomenal job compared to pretty much everyone so you can be proud of that for sure Thank um you. back in november you were saying that the gdk 
that you were using for Xbox One, like you just said there. This is more for the audience as a reminder. You were actually saying um, using GDK. Oh, something's gone a little bit wrong. Gaz has gone. Last um, one. Just, oh, that interrupts me a little bit. Right. Um, you were saying that um, actually using GDK um, on the previous gen consoles, you're actually able to eat more performance out than you could with the previous XDK. So actually, That's right. that, yeah. that was your registration that it was pretty well advanced. As it went, um, in terms of tools advancing, has there been any kind of difference in pace on the Sony and the Xbox side? Is, is one advancing faster than the other? Can we expect changes in the landscape? I can't comment on that. Sorry. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Um, How's uh, I have kind of one related question that's a, again a bit more broad, not specific. I'm uh, not a technical expert. There is in his closet, maybe. <laughs> um, is he going to the shops? <laughs> but uh, once the, we've had a power cut. <laughs> oh no! An actual power cut on the oh, time we're having the show. The whole neighborhood is black. <laughs> Forgive me, I. <laughs> but I'm just using my mobile, so if this is bad, let me know, Asa. I will be quiet. Yeah, <laughs> it's. Just stick around. Can you hear me? Try and be relatively quiet. Yeah, we can hear you okay. I'm not sure if you can hear us. We'll, yeah. we'll muddle through. We've got our list of questions. Um, Sounds pretty good, actually. Could, could I'm, be worse. I'm impressed by how quickly you got on there. It's a little bit confusing for me. So if it gets a little bit stuttery from here, people, I'm trying to manage a few things at once now. But uh, we'll carry on from there. Um, yeah, uh, I just had a quick question. Like, uh, I think from the gamer's perspective and the consumer's perspective, the new generation of consoles, we didn't see this technological, like visual leap that we normally are used to. Those of us who've been gaming long enough to remember when the PS2 and PS3s came out and PS4. Uh, is is there a similar sentiment among developers that the technical leap here isn't quite as uh, maybe, uh, uh, I don't know if apparent is the right word for a developer, but um, do you, yeah, I guess I'll stop there. Does that make sense? My question. Yeah. You're asking, um, is the uh, is the reception for developers such that um, we think that this isn't a big leap? Correct. Yeah, or at least as big as we've seen in the past when we go to a whole new generation. Yeah, um, I, I can't speak for the entire development community, right? I can only speak for, <laughs> for my view on it. Um, I think that these machines are beasts. Um, that they're incredible. The, the question is, we have to look at the, the launch, well, not the launch lineup, but the current roadmap. There's lots of games that have been delayed, lots of games that have been, um, had their, their actual ship date just canceled whilst we, they go back and rethink what, how they're going to operate under COVID. And I can't underscore enough how much lockdown and COVID has affected transition for one console platform to another, right? Um, just because it affects every element of development. Um, that means that when you're going, okay, well, let's look at the games that are available. Do they look that much better than what was available on last gen? Well, that takes a little while to shake out normally anyway. It takes a while to build bigger assets. I think that both of these systems, the NVMe drive is the thing that's really gonna shape and change what you should expect visually um and not just visually because i think actually it's a little boring if we just apply all of the horsepower to just graphics but imagine um games having way more uh, npc characters because now you can deal with the ai or far more complex ai that would be amazing um 
but in terms of asset quality, being able to stream the assets in at the kind of speeds that they're able to should shape and shift your game design. But that can't really happen if you're bringing your game out on the new consoles and the old ones, because it, it wouldn't work anymore. You can't have fundamental gameplay experiences that rely upon the fast drive. So when I did my performance analysis stuff on fast storage for, for these consoles, it was apparent that they are ridiculously fast. Like when you, if you have an NVMe in your PC, it is not the same. Like I can't underscore that enough. It's, it's not the same. The, the tech that's in these consoles, proprietary tech that I'm not going to go into the details of, they do mean that you could in theory be able to stream in data mid frame and throw it away again and load something else. Hmm. So what does that do to what you can, can render on screen? So it's, it's quite an undertaking going to shape a lot of thinking for different developers and teams around the world as they think about, uh, the engineering architecture of their engines and how they can really perform best on these consoles. But it's going to take time to shake out on, on to, to the end user and to reach the gamer. Um, I think that from the moment that I heard of the specs of these machines, I could see that they were quite incredible uh, as an upgrade. So I'm, I'm not disappointed with the, the jump. Um, yeah, I, I think the, these machines are great, just incredible. So follow up there, because you're talking about um, how at the moment catering for the kind of previous generation of consoles as mm -hmm. the kind of lowest common denominator, it's going to fundamentally, it's well, going to hold you back this. a little bit in terms of design. I don't want to post it as a negative, but it's the reality is yeah, that if yeah. you're developing for these consoles, you can't do certain things with these SSDs that are fundamental to the design of the game. What about the yeah. Xbox Series S? There's a lot of conversation around more so fans than developers but do you see that as any kind of hindrance going forwards or is that powerful no. in all the right places i think it's absolutely fine in all the right places love my series s it's absolutely great the thing is if you think as we've seen in the different tech specs uh there was a game recently that put out it was resident evil 8 put out the chart listing all of the mm -hmm. different um frame rates that it was targeting and all the different quality modes and all that stuff if you have seen that the Series X version is the same as the Series X version, you would be rightly disappointed, right? One of these is a lower um, investment proposition mm -hmm. for the customer. And one of them is higher. The, at the end of the day, you should expect that Series S should be targeting 1440p or 1080p. And that's it. Like no, none of the other specs are really that different. So all you've got to do is dial down the render resolutions. Maybe you're going to chop off some um, post-processing effects. That's it. Series S is an incredible value proposition. Gaz is back with the power. <laughs> but yeah, Series S is a great value proposition. And um, yeah, I don't see it being a hindrance at all. Mm -hmm. the, the only thing that is a, like, a time factor is you have to tweak it a bit for the Series S, but that's, it's not a huge amount of work at all. You're already building for PC most of the time, and you have to mm -hmm. deal with the different configurations that users have there. It's not any different uh, to build something for Series S. Yeah, definitely, that makes a lot of sense. I'm just gonna flip this view again, give Gaz a chance to rejoin the meeting on his correct machine. Gaz, you can turn your phone off if you want and just join us as soon as you're ready. Um, 
Okay, I'm going to leave you. But very quickly, again, David, what you just said kind of contradicts what the remedy guy said. Uh, he said he 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 saw the series S as a crutch. <laughs> He's just. I'm sorry. I'm just about to turn my piece. Sleep on that. I'm, I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> Let me throw this grenade in, and then I'll just leave the chat. <laughs> I guess it depends on what you're doing, right? So if imagine that you were making a game that targeted 1440p on the series x and then you were going to turn up tons and tons of effects explosion effects and particle effects all of the time or something or and you needed that kind of flexibility to maintain that kind of frame rate you're going to be looking at an even lower resolution on series s maybe you're going to need to turn down some of the effects that you're doing you need to scale um but really i i, I would go back to what i said before you still have to think about pc it, you can bring out a game that would only work on a 2080 or something, right? But it's not going to sell because that's not where the vast amount of customers are at the moment. Not, not everyone can afford a 2080. So you still needed to work on a 1080. What way does a PC game need to scale in the same way? And I'm, and please, no one should say, quote me as saying, I think that Series S is comparable to a 1080 or the difference between those two. That's not what I'm saying. It's that... Games have to scale nowadays. If you're targeting tons and tons of different um, configurations like this, you just need to figure out ways that you're going to enable to turn on and off. Okay, so you've got, um, in that scenario, you've got these new consoles with these amazing SSDs that are better. It's not the same as the SSDs that you've got in the PC. Does that mean that the PC is going to be holding us back for a few years? That is a good question, to which I don't yet know the answer, <laughs> but I'm asking the same question myself. Hmm. So... The problem is, can you, if you're going to build a game for a console, imagine in fact, Spider-Man on the PS5, can that game work on a PC? Probably not. Not with the same kind of streaming tech that you're doing on the PS5. So maybe you could bring it out and it could work on an NVMe on a PC, but the tech isn't exactly the same. So maybe you could compromise a little bit but now you're requiring PC gamers to have an NVMe. Mm -hmm. I'm not even sure that there's a standard way of checking, does this user have an NVMe? Like it's not a function call. You probably have to start implementing some speed tests on storage devices and that doesn't sound fun. Um, but yeah, I think that that's definitely a problem. Yeah, Ratchet and Clank is another one that comes to mind, which requires like the way that the level design works in that game, the way I understand it, it is, dependent on the ssd to load those levels extremely fast and it sounds like yeah for that reason you couldn't release that game on pc or if you did you just wouldn't be able to run it if you didn't have a uh ssd yeah you yeah, could sure. probably i mean i guess as a crutch you could stick a whole load more stuff in the memory but then you're still bumping up that minimum requirement a long way aren't you so well it depends on how much you're streaming in and, and what the memory requirement is, right? Because even then, the memory available on these machines is quite large too. So trying to target multi-platform for everything at the moment is going to be a design challenge. How about, um, okay then, slight, slight deviation from there. So since last we spoke, you explored ray tracing much at all. So Dirt 5 has, has ray traced. Shadows or Reflections on the PC? I've not played the PC version. Uh, it's Shadows. It's Shadows. Ah, good. Okay. Um, have you had much of a chance to play with that yourself? Are there things that you're excited about with ray tracing? Um, now, 
despite being the technical director, that doesn't mean that I know everything about everything. <laughs> so I have a really talented graphics team and I, I have a graphics background myself. That's what I used to do. Um, but my graphics guys have done all of the work on ray tracing and I'm very pleased with it. We saw it as an R&D exercise more than anything else. We, we partnered with AMD to look at how, how does this work? How can we really make the use of the power with our first pass of it really? Because I think the hardware can do a lot more. Um, but this was really a case of how, how we're going to make use of it and what's involved to understand ray tracing. It's quite complicated trying to figure out exactly it, how to bounce rays around. It's not that the hardware just does it, you flick a switch and ray tracing just works. It's, it's actually a shockingly complicated subject. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, we, we're pleased with it. We're, we're pleased with it. And it was good to, to be able to partner with AMD on it. So on a, on a personal level then, so obviously there's there's the work that you've been doing on, on Dirt and whatever else you might be working on. But I know you play a lot of other games as well. So what are the kind of examples that you've been most impressed with yourself playing at home? Oh, so I had, actually haven't got a ray tracing game on my Series X yet. But the game I'm most impressed by is Watch Dogs Legion. Looking at the stuff that they're doing with the the water, like the reflections in there, I thought that was really incredible. Um, I'm looking forward to picking up a copy. If anyone from Booby PR is watching, yeah. I can send you my address. I'm kidding. I'd probably get in trouble for that. Um, but no, I, I should pick up a copy when I get some time. Um, but it looks great. I really, to be honest, I end up watching a lot of Digital Foundry videos to be able to see uh, what's going on with these things. I, I was really impressed by. It. I thought that looked great. Watch Dogs Legion, one of the most underrated games of 2020, if you ask me. Love that game. Oh, that's because that's you don't live in London. Yeah, exactly. The voice, <laughs> the voice acting for me was just yeah. I was watching Acer play, and it was just it was so bad in English. Oh. It just like it chucked all the bruvs and so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so bad. It was so bad. Yeah. Um, um, and I can say that because my friend does the voice acting, but in French for that game. <laughs> so, yeah, the English. So we, should we be playing it in French? I think we should because England, the French is actually really praised quite well, actually. Okay. So if you can speak French, go for it. The English one is terrible. Uh, sorry, Ubisoft. Um, yeah, um, I had a whole neighborhood power, neighborhood wide power cut. And I, just my luck, I was so angry. I just quickly got it on my phone. Um, what did you did you tackle that point that I quickly left on, on this whole point about the Series S being a crutch? You you said look look just downscale it. That's how it should work. But Remedy guys said complete opposite because. It's not a simple case of just downscaling the res or these two these things out here and there. It's non-technical speak. Just just tell us yeah, about, about it. <laughs> 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 about it. Oh, you did. Okay, Fine. Yeah, yeah. I, I won't retread on that. Retread on that. Uh, are we still talking technical stuff? Because oh, that's well, thrown out of whack. I, I mean, unless there's anything in particular, if Josh has got any questions or if there's anything that David wants to volunteer technical, then um, we can have a little run through the chat. So I'm sorry, chat. That was a little bit hectic while things went wrong, so I've not kept up with the questions. But if you want to fire some questions for David in there, go for it, and we'll we'll throw them. I have in. that's fine. I have one que question. Um, you'll have to forgive me. I don't know what engine Dirt Five was uh, built using, but when uh, uh, Epic showed off their Unreal Five engine demo last year, just prior to the PS5's reveal, uh, did did that do anything for you? Like, does, does when you see stuff like that, does uh, at Codemasters, are you thinking like, oh man, this is what we're going to use building our next game? What's kind of the internal uh, uh, reaction to something like that at a studio like like Codemasters? So, 
I think um, a video like that generates an incredible amount of buzz. Uh, you're seeing it shared everywhere suddenly straight away. You know, I get pummeled with messages from people. Have you seen this? This looks incredible. You look at the quality of the lighting and blah, blah, blah. Um, immediately tech people from uh, across the engine team. We, we don't use Unreal. We have our own uh, engine. Um, and immediately people going, oh, we would do it like this. We would do it like that. Ha, huh, they must be doing this and they must be doing that. And people start breaking it down and trying to figure out just from the video footage, what is, how is it that we would do that? Or what are the kind of cheats that are happening that you can see? Um, it's, it's always good to see the, the, the competition and to see, you know, competition pushes people forward. So to see something like the Unreal uh, demo video, you end up looking at it and going, well, what is, what is it that we're doing better? What is it that we're not doing as well? What are the sacrifices that we want to make and why? Um, where do we want to compromise? It, it's always great to break that stuff down. Um, I'd be really disappointed if it didn't happen, actually, because yeah. you, you want to make sure that there's still excitement and hype from your team looking at all the cool stuff that's going on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. David, complete tangent. Same as last time, okay. justify those sprint cars. <laughs> justify the sprint cars. So um, I would say I am not the game director or the designer for the product. <laughs> However, I actually really like the sprint cars. Um, I think one of the one of the things is that you do have to treat it as if you're driving a completely different vehicle. Um, you have to do loads of loads of um, opposite lock steering, uh, lots of braking. Um, I find that when I'm playing online, I'm often in first place, but that's probably the only car class I can do that with. I like it a lot, but we have seen your feedback and we made lots of changes about sprint cars. Um, but we, we're hearing you, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you, Isma, for the $2 super chat. Because Fidelity FX is coming. Are you excited? What the Fidelity hell is that? Fidelity FX. So this is um, from oh. the AMD Games segment. So David probably knows. He's probably taken a keen interest in it. But Fidelity FX is a suite of AMD tools that have been available on PC for a while, mostly some of them. And they announced over the last week or so that a bunch of those tools are going to work with the Xbox Series consoles. So, yeah, any particulars of them that you're interested in or want to share information on? Well, uh, as I said, we partnered with AMD for, for the ray tracing. We use quite a bit of um, the Fidelity Effect stuff in Dirt 5 on PC if you have an AMD card. Mm -hmm. um, I can't comment as to whether we're going to be using that stuff in future on console. Um, but yeah, good question. Please check out Dirt 5 and take a look at the Fidelity Effect usage that we've got going on in there. Someone asked about um, GameStack. Have you seen the Velocity GameStack session? Uh, no, sadly, I, I'm, it is on my list of things to do in the coming week. If they've seen it, then they're doing a great job of keeping up with all of the tech stuff because that was only this week, right? Yeah. Um, so they should, you know, come work for me. But <laughs> the, uh, the Velocity stuff, I do already have access to, to the hardware. I've already done quite a lot of um, R&D on it. Um, I did see there was a talk about uh, the feedback texture sampling that I do want to watch. Um, we didn't have time to implement that on Dirt 5. I feel that's probably, um, it's probably a significant enough undertaking that we wouldn't be doing an update for that for Dirt 5. Um, and that would have to wait for another project. But I'm obviously, as a nerd, I'm fascinated to, to see what that is and how it's used. Um, I did catch a, a little glimpse of, uh, of one of the talks and this week right yeah. that, that's yeah. Week. 
Yeah, it was this week. I had back-to-back meetings for like four days this week. So. Yeah, no, but it's exciting because this stuff is is in the works. Probably your next project. It's everything's quite early, very early. It's not even a year, <laughs> or half a year. Even I don't even know uh, since Next Gen started. So. Um, well, a lot of people yeah and isn't that great there's so many new features in this hardware that um like variable rate shading for example we did end up using that in dirt 5 and you you can it, it's a good a good thing to use in a racing game because there's different parts of the image and not going to need as much detail when you're driving really fast but there's going to be things that you can do with that tech that is for off-screen information that can just help with performance. And I'm intrigued to think about how we could make use of that and maybe even use it for some kind of, um, I don't know, off-screen rapid generation of buffer data or something. I won't bore you guys with- The hell is that? (laughs) When you you generate an image for a game, um, it's already gone through like, n number of passes let's say you go through eight different passes um first of all some of the conversations that i see people having on twitter and reset era and the other places i hang out i find hilarious when people are like oh this game's not really 4k it's not 4k native uh, you know whatever game they're talking about well what does that mean in that if you've got 16 passes or something that you go through or however many if they're not all 4k then the whole game's not 4k so it's just not that simple to try and work out is a thing really 4k or is it not um but let's say for example you are um you're processing um i'm trying to think about how to explain this in a way that other people i will understand (laughs) Um, make it gas process very fine shadow detail you might do uh, a quick kind of a sketch of the screen trying to keep it nerd non-nerdy as possible and you draw that to an off-screen texture that might not be full size can you use variable rate shading to help speed up that kind of work now that doesn't mean that it's affecting some of the finer detail because actually if you're doing shadows shadows tend to be you know mostly gray very dark gray or black yeah so you're not going to miss the detail on that whereas if you start doing variable rate shading on someone's skin during a really close cutscene, then you're going to start missing some information there potentially so you know i think there's a lot even just speaking about variable rate shading there's tons of little investigations that we can do with that um and thinking about like obviously the texture feedback sampling i think that's going to be super cool um and the nvme direct storage fast storage all of that stuff i think we've got tons of new toys to play with and this is like the worst year to try and ship things with new experiments <laughs> to do. So it's the, NV- the NVMe stuff, the hard drive, some devs have said that that's the game changer, but there's been an argument propped up to say that while whilst that's fine, it's changing, but the baseline, the baseline, you still have to cater for these mechanical hard drives on PCs. Okay. Do you expect... Oh, we, no. we have already uh, touched do, on that. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, are we going to see a migration to this being the standard if you ask that? Sorry. I'm, yeah, I'm we, we did talk about this yeah. a little bit. Oh. Um, but I think that, so for example, NVIDIA have announced with Xbox that, I think it was NVIDIA, oh, I hope I'm not getting this wrong. I think NVIDIA announced they would be like storage for PC, mm. yeah? Yeah. And, mm. you know, mm, I wonder that where that's going to go. So, yeah. That was this week, right? 
Yeah, that was this week. But it's going to be, what do you do about the vast majority of people who don't have it? And that, and that's really the, the big question. And yeah, if you're making a game and have a deal with Nvidia or with Microsoft or something, and you can design your game around that feature, great. But if you're a multi-platform product that's trying to ship on everything, there's, I expect there's going to be some challenges here. And those are questions that I'm thinking about right now, not, not something I have an answer to. So I'm not trying to give a, a loaded response to say, this is a big problem, guys, panic. Um, yeah. I just think that it requires some real thought. Yeah. Yeah. What about the mechanical hard drives in the old consoles? I mean, those I would also think are holding developers back. And I'm curious, as I'm sure many gamers are, I don't know if you have any insight into this as a developer, but when we might start seeing more regular PS5 and Series X exclusive releases that aren't releasing on last-gen consoles. I mean, all of that just comes down to numbers, right? So mm. how many PS5s are there in the wild and how like, how many users have bought them? Obviously, there are none that are not purchased. I don't have one yet. <laughs> yeah. But you haven't got a PS5. I haven't got a PS5, no. I have a, no. I have a PS5 game. I have Dirt 5 on my shelf. <laughs> but oh, I don't damn. have a PS5. But, That's crazy. Um, the the um it, it just comes down to numbers in that you if you know that a game is going to cost x amount to develop you need to recoup that cost if you start saying well actually i don't care about the number of ps4 owners and xbox one owners we're just going to go next gen you could be looking at significant losses so you need to think really hard um, about how you do that and I'm really glad that those are problems that I don't have to think about. So that's wonderful. Someone in publishing who has that information and knows much more, more wisely how to deal with it, um, advises on those kind of things. Yeah, I just, I hate this whole last gen thing. Get rid of it. Let's go on with the <laughs> I mean, As a player, that's what everybody would want, right? Yeah. But, but equally, if you're a guy that only has a PS4 and then suddenly you're left behind, you're going to be pretty upset. And actually, when you look at the numbers, are and I really don't know the answer to this, but if you look at the numbers of the amount of players that there are, are the vast majority of people who play video games also the people who are hanging out on forums? Because I suspect that that's not. Right? <laughs> no. The people who are hanging out, talking on Twitter about, you know, a 520 hertz bug or talking about whatever's new on GameStack, we are a very small portion of people in the gaming community where the vast majority of gamers are the people who are just having fun and getting on with it. Um, yeah. So trying to figure out, can your title target current gen and next gen or can it go to next gen only? I think is actually a really a, a difficult question. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's move on. Well, we kind of have actually, but let's move on from the technical side. Let's turn to the fun bits. The uh, the controversy. No, 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 no controversies here now. Um, but I just wanted to ask you because look, Game Pass. You, you, you've been. You, it's been a resounding success for for yourselves and for multitude of uh, studios and devs who utilized or had their games feature on that service. Um, there's this question about hardware sales. Are and in terms of comparative sales, and this is console worry stuff, but we love to swim in the source, as we say. Is the metric of hardware sales more important than monthly active users? Is that antiquated or is that still relevant? What's your take on that? So I'm, I'm happy to answer this question, but I need to give a little disclaimer first. 
Uh, I'm only talking about my personal opinion on this. I have no inside information. I do not represent Codemasters EA or whatever it is. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah. I'm not trying to comment on Xbox or PlayStation sales or something. But yeah, as, no, no, no. But I think just to look at the information that's available to the public, right? Um, Microsoft have changed their strategy significantly in the last few years where PlayStation is about selling you the box and the games that are available for that box. And that's a much more traditional Nintendo, Sega, Sony kind of thing. Right. Uh, if I want to yeah. play Last of Us 2, there's only one way to play Last of Us 2. You go buy a PlayStation 4, you play it there. Um, Xbox is about, we want you to be able to play the games wherever you are. We really, like they're saying, we don't, they seem to be saying, they've not said it to me, they seem to be saying in their public message, um, we don't really care that much whether you buy the box or not. Right. Yeah. You, know, you can get a PC. If you want to, if you're a console game and you want to have a great, 4k 120 hertz experience series x is a great way to do that but if you want to play on pc we're building for you there and game pass will sort you out um so for example i me and my friends we play sea of thieves every thursday i get a bottle of whiskey out and have a few drinks while we play some sea of thieves nice. and love that game one of the guys is playing on pc you know it's not it's not the same as we all needed to have the same console um, one of the guys, uh, no, everyone is playing on an Xbox Series X now. I thought they were playing on Xbox One, but no, we're all on Series X. And, but I have a guy, in the, one of the guys in the office, he plays CFDs too, by coincidence, with his friend, and I was talking about it. And he said his friend doesn't even have a console or a PC. He just plays it on his phone. And I'm like, what? what? Like, I, I just, that, that's going to be the norm. That's going to be a thing that we're going to hear all the time. Yeah. But, he said, you know, my friend wanted to play a game, doesn't play console games, doesn't have a PC, but like a, a gaming PC. And um, so he bought a, uh, he played it on his phone and he was using the touch controls. And so he treated himself by upgrading to buy a controller. Now that sounds hilarious to a gamer, right? Like you, that, that's not a treat. You can buy yourself the console. So you can <laughs> but games are broadening who they're for. And I think that the Xbox strategy of where we want the game to be available where you are on the devices that you're on, um, I think that that's a more meaningful metric, um, especially when you think about how games are services, uh, the number of players become much more important. Um, mm. It depends on where you think you're going to make the money. Is And I don't make those calls, I, I don't know how much money services make and subscriptions versus hardware sales. But the losses or not necessarily losses, but the, the, the running costs of selling hardware um, versus the profitability of it, that's the word I'm looking for. You, that's not, that's gonna be significant, the amount of cost it is to make a PS5 ship it to get into the store versus just selling people digital products. Um, it does seem more forward facing. Well, it's fascinating, right? Mm. I don't know where it's going to end up. And I see the comments from people online about like, oh, Game Pass, is that going to be a sustainable model for the future? Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I hope so. But Microsoft say it is. I'm sure it is. You know, I was going to ask you that question. Is, right? I was going to ask you that thing. It's like, what do you think about this whole thing? Is Xbox Game Pass sustainable? 
what is your gut feeling like? Is that oh that man they must be losing a lot of money or is it do you think it's antiquated or out of touch or what do you think? I right. love that you sit there and you think of this is how you know someone's intelligent, but they sit there and they think, <laughs> not blurt what I do. <laughs> it's just blurt the answer. I remember that from last time. I was so impressed by it and I thought I'd learn from that, but no, I haven't. But you didn't. <laughs> I, I, I think the obvious comparison is Netflix, right? Um, in that Netflix built their original content and it's available on there. Mm. And I think that there were questions about Netflix. Is this a sustainable model? And then Amazon is Amazon does the same thing with Amazon Prime and Apple TV Plus is only exclusive content and Disney Plus has its own exclusive content as well. Like mm. Falcon and Winter Soldier, which was excellent. But it's I guess it's about the customers. So if you build a service and you're making exclusive content, but you can't attract customers, then yeah, you, you've really shot yourself in the foot. But if you're getting the customers and they're all buying the content and you knew that there was a fixed cost to that content, you, you will have paid for it by having a, a large amount of customers. Uh, I think there was a stat released this week by Microsoft to say how many customers there were on Xbox Game Pass. 23 million, yeah. How many, sorry? 23 million at the moment. I mean, that's quite a lot, right? <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> I heard right. someone do just a, a quick breakdown, and if you if half of those, or let's say everybody's on the nine ninety nine subscription, which they're not, but let's say they are, and then half of them are just on the $1 a month trial, that's still... Yeah what 120 or 130 million dollars a month that's that's close to 1.5 or 6 billion a year yeah that's a, that's a ton of money yeah <laughs> you know, what would be really interesting yeah. for me so with um, game pass they're obviously looking beyond like you were saying a minute ago david they're looking beyond the consoles it'll be really interesting when game pass subscribers surpasses the number of consoles that they've got current consoles out there now, i don't mean the serious consoles because obviously it's already ahead of that but at the moment, they're still supporting the Xbox One and the series consoles. And Game Pass at 23 million. If you're Microsoft and they keep talking about this $2.2 billion gaming industry and these people on phones like your colleague's friend, one day it's got to get past it, hasn't it? And that'll be a huge milestone. I mean, I I was sitting here while you were, I think that's a really great point. And I was thinking, man, what's that going to do to the, like, the way that we develop? Have I now got to start caring a lot more about how things are seen on a small screen versus a large screen and input and like touch input and all that kind of stuff. And, um, but then I remembered that today I, I was tweeting out that, um, it was so nice to see people commenting on Twitter about how dirt five plays on xCloud. Um, and then I remember we did nothing to make that happen. Literally nothing. Wow. Wow. So That's crazy. teams just said, Hey guys, how do you feel about X, Dirt 5 on xCloud? And there is a little touch overlay where it has like a little, um, like an accelerator pedal instead of just oh. pressing the A button and things like that. But we didn't do it. The Xbox team did it for us. And um. it, it was great. It's such a great partnership that they just said, it just works. Do you want to try it out? And they sent us you know, access to it early. But I actually haven't had a go because I'm an iOS guy. <laughs> when the beta for xCloud um, started for iOS this week, um, and I didn't get in. I'm still not in. I still haven't played Dota 5 on xCloud, but other people have, and they're saying it's great. But I've seen, you know, I saw early footage, and I think that kind of commitment to content 
because it's not a commitment to me as a developer they're not doing it to just make my life easy it's a commitment to content so they can get content to players um mm. i think that's what makes a big difference uh, so, you know there's probably somewhere at ea somebody that can hook you up with that Maybe, maybe. <laughs> that's being bought by a larger company. I don't know who it is to call. No. <laughs> when, when you do have that party when COVID hopefully lifts off and everyone gets vaccinated, I'm sure you'll have a big inauguration party. Just, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. If you're watching this, EA, if you're watching this, sort it out. Um, <laughs> Got to give in a, a good uh, inauguration party to Codemasters. And there's a lot of Codemasters love in the chat. Um, Mantis Toboggan. Thank you so much for the $5 Super Chat. goes, there's nothing better than clearing Dirt 2 stage perfectly. Sourcing every corner and hauling ass through the straits. Love Codemasters. Oh, that's great. Um, hey, Asante. Um, thank, thank you so much for the $5 Super Chat. Something just popped up on my screen, sorry. About, uh, about next-gen only games. With Game Pass now available via browsers, do you think calculus changes... Now, since last gen consoles also have browsers, sorry, I don't understand the question. Neither I do, I, do I. do. Yeah. So he's saying, um, so theoretically, I, I, I don't know who it is that's asking, but um, theoretically, if you have next gen versions of a game streaming to the previous gen consoles, then you don't need to worry about the uh, hardware limitations, which is uh, slightly complicated because, as far as I know, right now the um, xCloud service uses the previous gen of hardware in a way. Not strictly speaking, so they might have some of the advantages of the new one, but at its core, I think it's based on the um, the 1S chipset. Um, but it's a more interesting point that that alludes to is when are Microsoft going to bring xCloud streaming to Xbox hardware? Because there's a myriad of benefits if they do that, but they've got other priorities at the moment. But I don't know if you've got anything or... to, to add on that. If you're Sorry, if your PlayStation has a browser, could you stream xCloud on your PlayStation? Whoa. That's another thought. But... Wow. That's a good one. Good yeah. One. Yeah, I think that obviously they're going to have the numbers for these things, right? So they'll carefully make some kind of choice as to whether they want to bring it to another console, whether that would be detrimental to sales and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I guess they're just different experiences too, right? So if you're trying to play... Um, what was it that just got a hundred load of stuff just got 120 hertz up oh, load of the EA back oh, the yeah, Battlefield like games Battlefield. oh wow <laughs> full representation of EA games here so <laughs> if I want to play Titanfall 2 at 120 hertz at 4k um I think that was the resolutions that were discussed for it I might be wrong so please forgive me chat if that's the case um you're not going to be streaming that to a browser you're just not. So if that's a different experience. So if you're able to um, put up with lower resolution, lower frame rates and latency, those are different customer use cases, right? Um, much like my colleague's friend who uh, is playing CFDs on a phone, at some point he might go, do you know, I really just, I just want a better experience. I'm going to buy the console. Um, whether that really matters long-term to Microsoft or not in their sales, I, I have no idea. That's but just I, an opinion on my part. You say that, but I actually used it on PC. So I used with Xbox and I was really excited because I don't want to download the game. So I just thought, yeah. let me just try out Narita Boy and just like, and the streaming wasn't perfect, for us, to be honest, actually. But it was just the prospect of playing it instantly. That's yeah. really good. 
So I would love, yeah. I mean, that that's what's really cool to me. Um, mm. I can do that. That's um, yeah, when I was saying a moment ago. Five out on Stadia, and um, I got sent a code for that, and I played it, and that was the thing that really blew me away. Was how quickly you get into the game. Like, yeah. Oh, Oh yeah, wow! I didn't have to download anything. I'm just going to browser, and quality and latency was it was fine for for me and what I was experiencing. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, when it, oops, um, when it does become when 5G does become the norm, then it's so it's so cool that your friend your your um your co your friend or your friend's colleague was doing that. My colleague's friend. Colleague's friend. <laughs> it's an what when I was saying um, about the other reasons that Microsoft might potentially want xCloud on the Xbox consoles, that's that's pretty much it, that instant access. Because if you've got a game that you can see in the store and you're thinking, oh, Immortals Phoenix Rising has a demo, I'd love to try that and see if I want to buy this game. Stream. It's not the full quality, it's a streaming quality, but you can just try it and you can see things instantly. And the ease of access that, that Stadia can already offer, that xCloud can already offer, apart from on the Xbox. It's... So Phil Spencer talks about this, right? That in the like we, we talk about video games in a very different way to we do in other mediums. So um, I had let's say I had an iPad and I want to watch uh, Avengers on my iPad. I go to the movies app and I click on Avengers. It just starts streaming it. If I really want it to be non-buffered and high quality, I have the option to download it. But we're all surprised when we can stream things because that's just where we're at and obviously there's tons of technical challenges that come into that but that's the thing that we should be expecting that, that we should have instant access to our our games and most of my i have quite a large game collection um but my xbox has like 400 digital games so i have something like six terabytes of external hard drives for it why because i want to have a I want to have quick access to whatever game I want to have quick, quick access to. It would be nice if I could just stream stuff though, and maybe even download it when I turn the console off and it could maybe cache that for me and make kind of intelligent choices about what it should put on the hard drive. But that kind of ties together you know, two of the other things that you've said though, because you've had, um, you mentioned before that the circles of kind of core gamers that we talk about is a small part of the gaming audience that are on forums and Twitter and things like that. And you've talked yeah. about the Netflix experience in general. And mm. Netflix exists, it's, it's huge, and it's got that wide audience, but there is still this small core that will play a Blu-ray instead because they want that pristine quality. And when yes. you're looking in the gaming space, we're in all the noises from that, that small core that would play the Blu-ray or would play the local game rather than the streamed version. But the audience for streaming will be massive when they kind yeah. of cotton onto it. <laughs> the, the audience for streaming, obviously, for, for movies, is obviously massive compared to discs, right? I there's a couple. I love owning physical media because I just like having it and having it at the highest possible quality. Um, but even I've just stopped buying films on on disc because what what is the point? Um, there's a couple of films I'll buy on UHD, but I mean, in this chat, how many of us have bought UHD films? Never. No. Yeah, a few. Yeah, I've got I've got a few, but how so? Asa, how many UHD films have you got in comparison right. to It is absolutely fair question. I See, I'm one of the most fussy people in terms of tech, but I watch Netflix kind of begrudgingly, but the convenience <laughs> just wins out most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, did you have a lot of Blu-rays? Yeah, fair few, but, it's, yeah, over time, 
it's definitely migrated yeah. over in a way that gaming has to as well. In I bought game. hundreds of Blu-rays and then UHD. I'm like, oh, I've got about six. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Because what what's the point? I, I don't want to fill my house with boxes of things. And I think the other thing is, I don't want to get up. If I want to change film, I'm not getting up. Much like, imagine, I don't want to go back to the days of changing game on my Series X by getting up. That's just yeah. not. It's just not what I want to do. I want yeah. to change game because I'm playing with my friends. I'm a very social gamer. I'm playing with my friends, and we go, "Hey, let's try this," and we all just jump over. And I mean, that's another great benefit of Game Pass is having a shared library that you all have access to. You don't have yeah. that whole. Do you point. have access to this? Um, that's made a big difference to us. Yeah. The um, in terms of the digital landscape, I want to move it on slightly. Uh, saucier topic again xbox game pass like it's got goodwill uh with gamers um and one of the things and i I, i'm a firm believer that that's that's what this is doing is that xbox's game pass is creating a resurgence of games more experimental games from mid-sized indie devs that kind of games you saw in PlayStation 1 and PlayStation 2 era. That's kind of give, bringing that gaming back. It's accessible to everyone. Loads of games, loads of gamers now have an immense library on tap, but it also puts, um, it it does promote, I think, a lot of uh, diversity for uh, in games, in game for game devs. Smaller game devs, if they can get their games on Game Pass, they're loving it because they've got, I don't know what that, what that game was this week. They're sort of, we had, ridiculous number of players the small indie studios and the the pressure that game pass seems to be adding on Sony. if you were sony david would you not be a little bit concerned but what's happening with game pass particularly when they have said that they don't think it's sustainable for them to have their games day in day out on on the service wouldn't you be worried as as david springate individual man not company kudmas this is just us talking i think it really depends on, on what you're building in the, um, I, for some reason, I've been kidding myself that I'm going to pick up Breath of the Wild on the Switch when it goes on sale. It never, <laughs> never. On sale. In 2030. Why am I lying to myself like this? <laughs> Nintendo have this model where their games are great. They, they work hard on making those games great and maintaining their reputation for that is important and therefore they never go on sale and we all laugh because it's the, of my stupidity because it's it's obvious it's not going to go on sale as a key part of their business model and yeah. maybe this is where sony is headed maybe that's the goal um mm. like sony have got incredible games right incredible games like ghost of tsushima one one amazing game and yeah. if you want to play that, that's the place to play it. You need a PlayStation. Maybe that we shouldn't be expecting those games to get cheaper. Yeah. But ultimately, the draw is the IP. Um, so much like I would expect the number of people who buy a Switch on day one are not buying it for a third-party title. No, right? they're buying it no. for, a, for a Breath of the Wild or a Mario Kart or some or a Pokemon, or yeah. Animal Crossing. But are you gonna? Should you, as a customer, be buying PlayStation because you you really want to have access to those games? And it's the games that and your communities that are the most important, right? So if your friends are PlayStation gamers, if mm. you're gamers that um, 
I have friends and people in the studio that are like, I will buy a PlayStation, have to buy a PlayStation because I'm a massive Gran Turismo fan or I'm a massive uh, Last of Us fan or some guys, I, I think multiple guys in the studio are like, I will buy anything that Naughty Dog put out. So it's got to be a PlayStation. So the content and the communities drive that too, right? Yeah. Um, I bought my PS4 when Street Fighter 4 came out because it, that was the okay. only way for me to play it on the TV. Mm. And the content drove the decision. Um, I still buy, I try and buy all of the consoles, to be honest, just because I want to have access to the different content. And again, I kind of hammer some the point, content is king. But yeah. if you're a multiplayer social gamer, you're going to go where your friends are as well. And there might be a different place to where you wanted to be for the content as well. And those are painful choices. Oh, absolutely. You have to, uh, yeah, content is king. Let's just, I want to bring that round to Josh as well, because Josh, um, I just want to do play that. Xbox so much. I'm sure you work guys. You're a brilliant host, but I just, uh, making sure on this one in case you get another power cut, you know, um, so just, you don't play Xbox so much. Do you, is that still correct? And what do you think? Uh, correct. Yeah, I have a, I mean, I, I play my PlayStation more, but I love game pass. Um, it's, I, I do think it's an amazing value. My big, so uh, as it pertains to this discussion, you know, I don't know if Sony should be worried just yet because of the IPs that they have and the the quality of the games they put out. Not that Microsoft's first party games aren't high quality, but you know, Sony has a lot of them, and that's a their lot more. yeah, and that's their thing. But I do wonder in maybe one year, but definitely like two years down the road when some of these major first-party Microsoft games have released day and date on X-Pass, starting with Halo, but then moving on to games like Avowed and um, whatever Rare, the game that Rare is working on. They've, they've got a ton of them. Hellblade 2. When they have... Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if Game Pass is at 23 million subscribers right now, what's Halo going to do to that number? What's Avowed going to do to that number? Elder Scrolls 6. Yeah. Console, day and date, <laughs> exclusive on Game Pass. Like... Then I think Sony might, uh, if they don't adjust or, or come up with some sort of counterpunch, it doesn't have to be Game Pass on PlayStation, but if they don't come up with something, I think that Xbox could pull away from them. So that's my thought. Uh, yeah, just yeah. the thought of, of Elder Scrolls Six day and date on Game Pass and uh, not on PlayStation kind of blows my mind. It's crazy. I mean, content is king, right, David? But he, Josh has just made a point there, like that kind of content. The pressure's there. And also the third party market is really important. If you're pulling people away from, from because of Game Pass is so enticing and you're saving so much money and, you, and Acer makes this point all the time, the third party, third party market, Sony would be worried. No, like, oh shit, don't pull us away from that. I mean, Dump. I wonder if there's, there's other questions about like, where are we going to be in 10, 15 years, right? In the, if you want to watch... Um, I don't know where you watch your your video media the most, and I, I I kind of think that we should make we should get learnings from music and from TV media systems. Um, if I said to you, hey, um, there's this really cool new music streaming platform. Um, it will cost you four ninety nine a month, but you need to buy a special box to be able to, to do it and carry it around with you. I expect that your answer would be, are you crazy? I can get Spotify on my phone. Yeah. Why, why would I do this? And so we're currently on, heading towards a model where 
all of the content is going to be available on differing platforms that may re may require different physical hardware and that is long term not what i want i'm going to want one i want it on all my devices not on one device actually i don't want yeah. to have just one xbox in my room that is as mm -hmm. the said it's like having the the premium uhd player in my house that's where, where i want to have the best video experience that is my ps5 or my series x or my high-end gaming pc but really i'm going to want to be able to play whatever game i want to play from my ipad from my phone from my browser um, yeah. as an industry in order to have longevity i expect the big boys the big companies need to work really well together to make that happen or we could end up in a i think video formats were in danger of doing this when they were yeah like signing up app deals to go on specific tvs and stuff like that they, yeah. they all rapidly moved away from that because that was dumb yeah. but it's it's a concern yeah interesting um sorry uh, quick uh, shout out to isma thank you so much for the five dollar super chat because i'm not a racing car gamer but because game pass because of game pass i tried dirt five and i've played it for the first time in my life a racing game with my friend that he found fun uh that's great that's great in fact the game is for you it, it's for that kind of gamer someone yeah. that just wants to dip in have some fun i hope you you know i hope you had a great time i hope you're doing it again thank you very much for playing absolutely um again this game pass is just just killing it um playstation still seems to be the home for excellent first party titles and we've got this amazing looking game returnal are you a fan of do you, have you seen returnal david you, i that... haven't seen it yet no no and it looks I kind of i probably shouldn't do this because i know that it's it's good to keep up when people are asking me questions about this but it's on my kind of media blackout list because much like um i haven't seen the trailer for loki i'm a huge marvel fan i haven't seen the trailer because <laughs> i'm a media blackout for it and i love house mark they make amazing stuff so yeah. I i'm kind of like oh they're making something i will check it out when i get my ps5 i don't want to ruin it for myself six yeah. days six more days you can preload it now and only like, like five There's minutes of fingers in your ears <laughs> 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 yeah no um it, it but do, do you not think it's a bit astonishing that Xbox, to turn it thing, what, uh, what Josh was saying on his head about when Microsoft is firing on cylinders, I still find it so astonishing that Xbox didn't launch with any first-party exclusives really on its new, to company's new hardware. No. Do, do you think that was a bit weird? Or are they banking all on Halo? Can you answer that, actually? <laughs> yeah. How, David, think, uh, this is the problem with you in the industry. You're not allowed to talk. Freedom of speech doesn't apply to you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the it, it's a it was a very challenging time, right? Um, yeah. The trying to work out what titles were going to be ready and what weren't. Um, it, it's really difficult. Um, I I'm sure that. I think one of the things that I really respect about what Xbox Game Studios did for that launch that people haven't been saying is in the video game industry, and I've worked on games that have done this, and I don't mean Dirt 5, but sometimes games are just not ready to go. 
and you just go right everyone roll up your sleeves buy a sleeping bag we're going to order takeout every night it's going to happen crunch time and i think i'm i'm actually super impressed that xbox game studios didn't didn't just push through and give everyone um subpar experiences just because we really wanted something on day one um and halo i would love to have had halo uh, by now or you know soon but i think that you know I, i'd rather wait and get something that's not going to disappoint me i'm a huge halo fan um, oh because oh, i've noticed that on your twitter and stuff and i follow what you you're saying and how you what where you were when you first got halo uh combat oh, yeah. We all yeah, have those it took, memories. It took 18 hours to get an Xbox original with my friend. Wow. And, uh, I fell asleep. I got home, I, I turned it on, and um, I, you know, I'm a kid. I lived at my, with my mom, and we, I turned on the Xbox, and it was uh, Halo music. <laughs> and I pressed start, and the opening cutscene starts, and I fell asleep. <laughs> I woke up, and my, and my mom had put a blanket over me. And I'm still holding the controller. The TV's on. <laughs> so I just leaned forward, turned the TV and the Xbox on and just started. That was it. I thought you were going to say, your mum's like put a blanket on you and she's on the fourth mission. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the cool things was when, because um, I was there at the, the launch in London and uh, it was at the old Virgin Megastore on Oxford Street. Oh, and, yeah. Um, it was, they turned the, the Virgin Megastore into the Xbox launch party for the evening. They, they shut the store early and removed all of the shelves that had all the products on and just filled it with Xbox pod units. Um, and like various, you know, celebs and B-list celebs showed up to be at the party. And you could just hang out there and play all of the launch games, um, including the silent cartographer in Halo 1. And so I just stood there for like, six hours just playing the silent cartographer with my friends in split screen and it was it was great um got given a lot of free games and all that kind of stuff and i went home super happy it was it's one of my favorite gaming memories That's growing amazing. up at that time was awesome, just awesome. yeah cool i remember the hmvs and the versions that was that was cool but what's your take on this halo stuff like halo you know me, me halo last year you know what's happened the, the way they showed it in visually it didn't impress anyone presumably you saw the 2018 demo build when they first showed off halo infinite were you disappointed did you share the same disappointment with everyone else or you like because you're a dev guy you're like oh you guys aren't taking it you're not seeing it the way we sh you should uh you should do um, oh. in my opinion i am not <laughs> representing codemasters or ea this is just <laughs> my opinion um i i watched the e3 presentation me and my friend uh dave we uh we watch e3 every year together we watch it uh, online get a pizza in or some kfc and it's i sit i'm such a nerd i sit there with my laptop i write notes of all the things and then we do like a kind of post-game analysis and talk about what happened oh. at e3 and like what were the things that we that really stand out for us and what disappointed us and what were the things that didn't happen that we wanted to and i'm watching the halo footage and my friends were, were audibly disappointed when when it was on. They're like, oh, this, this does not look how it should look. I yeah. actually thought it looked fine. Because I think that the thing that 
that people are not mentioning as much is that that game was a cross-generation launch game. That's what it was aiming to be and to come out on an Xbox original console. I think that one of the things that's difficult about Halo and the way it was shown was context is really hard. So trying to get people to understand what is a, what does a launch game for these new systems look like? And mm-hmm. is that the same as what you should expect on Series X three years from now? Um, so I'm, I'm actually disappointed to not have my hands on Halo now. Uh, I'm sure that whatever I'm going to get is going to be awesome. Um, I thought the game, the thing that that was interesting to me was that people spent a lot of time talking about the graphics and there was that, um, there was the enemy that became a meme. Oh, Craig. 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 (laughs) Oh, I love him. But yeah, it was, people talked about Craig a lot and they talked about grass and stuff like that, but I didn't see as much discussion about the gameplay loop, which I thought was amazing. No one complaining about the gameplay, man. Gameplay looks a hit. I'm thinking, you know, this this looks really cool. I'm looking forward to it. I get that people had their expectations, and you know, kudos to the teams at Microsoft again because they took the feedback. That's going to be an, a, a very difficult decision to make. Yeah, um, man. And they did it. Um, Halo, so- man. It's Halo. Delaying Halo shows that you have balls, and then Cyberpunk fiasco that kind of nails in. That's why. Yeah, I wonder yeah, if anybody at Microsoft many times. <laughs> yeah, I wonder if anybody at Microsoft was vindicated after nobody was cheering for the cyberpunk thing to happen. That was a disaster no. on all fronts, you know. But I do wonder if there was anybody who was just like, "See, like we made the right call," you know. I I think that one of the things that that yeah. pervades kind of not just the game industry but almost all industries and workplaces is that really you're rooting for success, right? I don't think that many people are standing around going, man, I hope they bring Halo Infinite out and it's the worst. Like, that. <laughs> There'll be people there who think that. Maybe a PlayStation <laughs> yeah, fanboy yeah. or two. But... I, well, I know a few people, but yeah. I think that we, we should be rooting for, for success. And so when someone says, we don't think that this meets the quality bar of, of what we want, or that we, we hear you and we want to make the feedback that, that you're giving um, meaningful, we're going to go make some changes. I think that can only be a good thing. Yeah. But yeah, that doesn't uh, mean it doesn't suck because I really wanted to play Halo by now. Yeah, I know. I know. But I um hopefully um it will be better. But you know, one thing that came across and it still lingered on with me uh, was how your attitude was to your team at Codemasters and how you it was just the perfect like the perfect boss. I don't I don't know what dynamic is like, the boss or whatever. They might whatever. disagree with that, right? <laughs> <laughs> they might disagree with that. But you made it sound very good, so you convinced me, and I thought uh, that's great. Um, you don't want people to work overtime. You'd like to see it face to face. You have this culture of play pool, like you said earlier, and then let's talk about it. Um, this whole thing about crunch, you know, you know, Jason Schreier, who we famously punched on the face last week. It's just a skit. Don't worry about it. Um, but uh, <laughs> um, we, he talks about crunch and the, this whole thing about Cyberpunk crunching to get this product that will be working on for ages. To me, it sounds like, well, if, do you not work in any field? Like, as, and I know you, you, I work in a field where it's like you have to, crunch is a thing. It's part of your life. Um, work 12 hour days you have to sign a contract you have to work 34 hour days that's fine it comes with the territory gaming side of things it just seems like 
is overblown to me. That cyberpunk fiasco that they were working extra hard and they get 5% of the profit, uh, you know, as a bonus or something like that, right? Um, do you do you share the sentiments with, like, I know you're very, oh, this is going to sound so stupid and not kumbaya, but you're very to the, you know, for, for your employees and stuff. But I just think, like, guys, like, welcome to the real world. It's just, it's just normal. Like, is it, do you think the cyberpunk thing was overblown or do you have some sympathy for it or what, what's going on? Cause I just think it's, look, it happens. You got to work, you work so hard. Just do another stint. How long were your days out. on the start of November? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So there's a ton of questions here. <laughs> yeah. I, I always do this. I'm terrible at framing these. So, first of all, I think that, um, I don't think it's overblown, um, okay. in the, when I started in the industry, I worked at um, a small developer um, and I learned tons of stuff there. I really am so thankful for the opportunity that I had working with this, this small developer where I had a really great mentor who I still am using the, the things that he taught me almost every day. But I had to work really hard and like I slept in the office a whole bunch of times. I kept a sleeping bag under my desk and I remember one day an artist woke me up in the morning when she was coming to work and I'm like, oh man, I've got to get back up. And I just got back up and just started typing again. <laughs> that isn't, that's not okay, right? Yeah, that's that's crazy. And when we say that the cyberpunk team works really hard, I am not there. I don't know the details. I don't know exactly what went on, but it all depends on how long they've been doing that for. So overtime is, as you say, uh, a normal thing in many jobs, um, depending on what they are. Um, now, what is what's reasonable in overtime is a question in and of itself. What's legal depends on what region you live in. Um, but it does depend on how long it's been going on for. How many weekends have you been working? How many evenings? And what's okay? Because at that point, how much of your life are you giving away for free with the promise of getting your five percent of royalties back or whatever and actually yeah. it might not, it, you can end up doing the calculation at the end of the project and find maybe you lost money in terms of working hours so yeah. it, it depends on how long that's been going on for um on dirt five my hours they got a little crazy towards the end they really did um but hmm culture over time and crunch this is a really sensitive topic and, and so yeah. i don't want to rush my answer on this i do not want my team doing long hours for sustained periods however my team do know that there's a release date the game comes out on a date um you have to get the discs pressed you have to get the final digital build sent to Microsoft and Sony. It has to have time to go through certification and testing. You need to have some time sandbags for fixing bugs. And if you do something like put your game out to Microsoft and you've got a bug where um, when you sign out mid gameplay, the save gets deleted or something, it's gonna fail certification. You need to put it back through and that has a five day turnaround minimum and you need to plan for these things. So sometimes there's going to be something that's just urgent and you need it fixed mm. right now. And those kind of, not that specific bug, but there was, there were some issues where we, there were things that needed to be done urgently. 
I actually didn't have to ask my team to do that kind of overtime. They worked really hard because they're hardworking pros. I have to be careful to make sure that they don't work too hard. Um, yeah. I think that one of the conversations I've had with the leads on my teams, we, we have a programming team that's divided into three groups um, and those the leads of those teams and I've had conversations about how do we look after our people in lockdown? They're yeah. bored. They want to work because there's nothing else to do. But do I need to start turning off their remote access privileges at certain <laughs> points so that I know they go to bed? Like, is that not a nanny state way of doing things? And yeah, what if... What if someone is, you know, sitting on the sofa, their wife's decided they want to watch something that they don't want to watch, and uh, they think, you know, I'm going to go and fix that bug. Is it bad that I'm preventing them from doing that? I don't, I don't want to go down that road. Yeah. So the main way in which we try to ensure that, that this is something that's, that's seen is everybody has one-to-one -one meetings with their managers every month. Um, that's not an opportunity for our managers to talk about how's your work going? Have you done it? Those questions are not asked. The, yeah. the two questions that are mandated is, how do you feel about working at the studio? And I want to stress the word feel. How do you feel about working at the studio? What can I do to make it better? Yeah. And I think that people have to be a high priority and caring for people has to be a super important thing in video game development. Um, you could have the greatest IP, the, the best IP, but if your team gets up and walks out, that IP has lost a lot of its value. Uh, imagine how much The Last of Us is worth if The Last of Us team got up, left, and went somewhere else. People have to be cared for. Yeah. And I raised Last of Us just because it's a you know, huge award-winning game. Yeah. The other thing that's interesting to me about, like, I, I agree with everything you said i do i don't think it was overblown of course i've never worked at a gaming studio uh i do think that you know uh crunch can take a toll on someone's mental health especially if it's uh you know persistent and sustained over a long period of time and if the company doesn't treat its employees like uh people uh that's a problem but the, the on the counter the other side of that as someone who has worked in a creative field is a creative endeavor especially one that you're passionate about is never freaking finished it's there's like, you can have a deadline, <laughs> but you're never going to finish it to the point where it's the way you wanted it. At least for me, I, I shouldn't speak for anyone else. In my experience, when I create something, even my YouTube videos, you know, I want to get them out as quickly as possible, but I rarely do them as fast as I want because uh, like I said, they're, they're just never done. There's always something I could improve and keep doing. And, you know, these people that work at gaming studios uh, that love their job and love what they're working on. I imagine there is this constant push and pull of, oh, I need to take care of myself, but there's just one more thing I could do, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I completely agree. When when will Rainbow Six Siege be done? Yeah. I think, I think <laughs> a long time now, and it's it's a great, yeah. really amazing game with an amazing turnaround story, and they keep adding more and more stuff. What does it mean to be done? Is is a great question. Um, I guess what. When you're going towards the release date, you during development, you're going to have the pre-production period where you're trying to figure out what is the game? What, what are the key things that we need to make in this game? Then during production, you're building the game. You're, you've got creative people in every area, not just design and art, but programming and QA and people with great ideas are going to come from all over the place. And you're going to implement some of those things. But someone somewhere, their job is to say, 
no, you're kidding me. We're not doing this now. Like we're landing the plane. That's the phrase. <laughs> yeah. Studio. We're landing the plane now. We're not doing these things. I know you want to do it. I agree with you. It will be a better game if we do this, but it's got to come out. So yeah. like those things, those conversations happen and we start making lists of what are the things that we're going to work on when we get to service and how we're going to add those things. Um, but yeah, I do agree with you. It is really hard to figure out what what does done mean and how do you stop? There were people who were fixing things in features in Dirt 5. Uh, like I found that there was someone doing a fix on something at a weekend because they just really wanted that thing fixed. Yeah. Um, yeah, I get it. I get it. But don't do that because I'd rather that you were going for a kebab or something. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's that internalized crunch, isn't it? I, I know exactly what you mean, Josh, as well as like, it's got a yeah it's it's true it's there's a lot more nuance to it a lot well, there's, there's a clear difference between i'm fixing a thing because i really want to fix the thing versus i'm working here tonight because someone else yes. has to have to. absolutely absolutely yeah. yeah that's a that that's the big thing and i hope you can yes, maintain that with also a fair difference between no we're landing the plane we don't have time for that feature and sorry cd project red but we just crashed the plane <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> or the land the landing gear is not out but we're still landing the plane yeah <laughs> uh, david can't say anything the camera on his face. <laughs> like i it's the people who like when i think about the gameplay programmer uh, on that game i i really feel for them whoever they are and the junior artists the the technical art artists or animators those people who have really put in years to bring out a game that, that after the, I mean, I've got Geralt on that side, Geralt on my shelf. You know, I love CD Projekt Red. They make great games, um, but they know it didn't come out the way that they wanted it to. And it's, but it's those people who didn't have impact and influence on those decisions that I really feel for. So, that yeah. sucks. Yeah, mm -hmm. they're the ones who. Yeah, that's true. There was a big debate i won't go into it about who's at fault here but then i think the the, the managers came management took the blame and took it on the chin it was us the pressures and bill i don't know uh, but yeah um i want to ch just change that to um so i don't know if you saw this david days gone developer in, a, in an interview with david oh, jaffe yeah, yeah yeah david jaffe's a brilliant guy man and uh, i was i was i was tempted to invite him on again with you guys because you'd be like yin and yang he's no filter <laughs> we've had him on the show before he's crazy but i love him so much um but on his show john garvin said don't complain if there's no sequel if you didn't buy the game at full price i just thought who are you to say that what do you think david what do you think josh is, <laughs> well I, i'm i'm a bit fiery on that because i just like what no piss off but What's your take on that? <laughs> uh, I have a nuanced response to this. I'm sure you would have <laughs> yeah, fine. <laughs> I I understand what he's saying. I, yeah. I don't agree with how he put it, but yeah. um, I think at the end of the day, you, you've released the. It's not gamers perceive you brought the game out. It took me six months to finish it because not everybody finishes things in the first week, right? So it took me six months to finish it. And now I'm ready for another one. Where is it? What do you mean you're not making it? When it's actually the decisions to start pre-production on the next thing happen very often, very quickly after you've just shipped the game. Mm. So you start, you know, you break off another team and start thinking about what's going to go into Days Gone 2 and stuff. 
And someone's looked at the numbers and gone, this just doesn't make sense. People were not buying this game. Yeah. And decisions happen really quickly. And, you know, he sounds very upset about it, right? He is, yeah. And the kind of language that he used was not one that said <laughs> he didn't care. Yeah. Um, now, obviously, the big money is made by video games during the first two weeks. That's just the stats of it. That if your game has not sold really great in the first two weeks, it's probably bombed because it's going to start getting discounted and there's going to be another title out. And the kind of zeitgeist mind of of gaming culture has moved on you know we're now yeah. looking at the next game and unless you're mario kart or something like that there's just you know a constant seller of fifa um but i i get what you're saying equally it's not gamers responsibilities to vote with their wallet right mm. um recently one of my friends made fun of me for this but recently i bought uh dragon quest 11 on the xbox um store even though it's on game pass and he's like why did why did you buy this and i said because i really want square enix to know that i want more final fantasy dragon Quest <laughs> on xbox that's where i want it i'm gonna pay my money and he said but you you know that they're not going to be like that's not going to it's not really <laughs> I'm with him on that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm with him like, yeah, I, I do know that. But if we all say that, then there won't be one. And yeah. in the same way, if everybody didn't buy, if literally everybody didn't buy Days Gone, I mean literally everybody, and waited and got it on sale, cool. They got a load of sales, a load of players played it, and a lot of players would have loved it. I haven't played it, but I hear it's a great game. I think it's on PlayStation Plus right now, or, or about to. Yes. So I'm looking forward to trying that, but that's not going to help them make another game. And so I think that it isn't gamers' responsibility, but then they can't complain that much equally if if they don't get enough money to justify another one. Yeah. Um, it is related. It is. Related question. Yeah. Um, generally, when you have a look at obviously you're in the uk so you've seen what the price of a new game is these days we'll use Returnal as an example where you've had your media blackout but you've probably seen that like a lot of other games it's 70 pounds when it comes out as a new game and this is um a direction that sony and a lot of other publishers have moved in to raise this price for the next gen by another 10 pound or 10 dollars depending on where you are by contrast it makes game pass look very very appealing but if you put game pass to one side for a second and just look at the price of games what are your thoughts on that it's 70 pound like should games keep going up until what's what's the right point for a game to be priced? Is up always the way that gets more money? <laughs> um, so this is a complex question as well. In the, for example, when I, I'll show my age a little bit here, but when I when I was a kid, me and my brother used to draw over this Japanese copy of Street Fighter Two on the SNES, and it was like a hundred and twenty quid to buy that. When you take into account inflation, that's a crazy amount of money for a single video game. And how I I'm not an economist. I don't know all of that stuff. I don't do the the pricing of games and budgets and stuff. But when was the last time that we had a significant in, increase? And equally, who is buying games at RRP anyway? So if I'm buying a game physically the rrp might have previously been 49.99 or 59.99 i don't actually know but when i'm pre-ordering them i tend to use uh, either amazon or the game collection.net i really like those guys mm -hmm. and you're paying 35 or something 
So setting the RRP at 70, is it really 70? Are you actually paying 70? You were at launch most likely because games tend to always sell at RRP at launch of a new console. But yeah. is it going to stay there or is it going to dip back down? I feel like we had this conversation last time when Xbox One and PS4 came out and there was an RRP increase then, I think. But I'm just not sure how it practically shapes out over time and whether games actually are are going down in value because of a lack of an RRP increase, but it's always painful to increase prices and no one likes doing it. So yeah, and, and, go on, I was going to say an interesting thing with PlayStation, as far as I know, they're the only ones who have like consistently increased. Well, I guess some of their first party games are less than that, but they're kind of the ones in the spotlight here, but they're also not known. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but they're not known for uh, microtransactions in their games. I'm sure they have some, but that's another place where studios do get money. Um, mm. But I can't look at a PlayStation and be like, you're also, you're kind of double dipping here. Like, whereas yeah. if, if Assassin's Creed next, whatever it is, comes out and it's a $70 game at launch, well, Ubisoft has microtransactions in their games. I, I actually think they do it well compared to most companies, but, um, you yeah. know, that's something to take into account. It is a complicated issue. I also think, um, to go back to the John Garvin situation, I was like... <laughs> I'm not someone who calls myself triggered very often, very often, but that quote definitely triggered me. I was, I was <laughs> not happy about it because, and this might sound harsh, but there's uh, some developers have earned my 60 or $70 at launch dreams. So I love media molecule. I bought dreams knowing full well, I probably wasn't going to play that for a while. It's still in the shrink wrap on my shelf, but I bought it at full price because that studio's creativity is something that I want to see persist in the gaming industry. Love that studio. Much like my Square Enix thing, right? Yeah. You put the money down because you want them to know I care about this thing. Exactly. You know, and so, um, and quite frankly, uh, and again, this is where I say this might sound harsh. Um, Sony Bend had not earned my, 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 full price uh purchase on day one especially with the way that game was reviewing i think it's really unfortunate that that game seemed to be a bit of a mess there were some bugs i don't know if yeah. that was a thing on sony's ben's fault or playstation's side of things but that does impact my decision to buy a game now i did buy days gone a couple of weeks later at 40 bucks and that's also sitting on my shelf still shrink wrapped so <laughs> take that for what it's worth but uh um yeah that i i i I can also relate to his frustration because it's got to be heartbreaking to pour your soul into a game for however many years and then have it maybe not pan out uh, in terms of sales or reviews the way that you hoped. And that I feel for John Garvin and any anybody else who worked on Days Gone because I know that they didn't work any less hard on that game than Media Molecule worked on Dreams, you know, so. And take that anger and that spills out to, you know, yeah, you're right. You know, he, he was visibly and audibly agitated and upset by it but and he also and this is a good segue to my next point he, he pointed out sony's fascination with metacritic he said i took it hard this is his quote i took it hard to be honest because again this is just the reality of sony metacritic metacritic score is everything if you're the creative director on a franchise and your game is coming out at 70 you're not going to be the creative director on that franchise for very long David, that is not a healthy attitude from Sony, is it not? To, to if if it's true, which I'm sure it is, I wouldn't. I have no reason to doubt him. You may, as personal man, non Codemasters guy, like, 
<laughs> you must think, come on, Sony, you can't just look at a Metacritic score. There's so many issues with just focusing on Metacritic, no? And Shuhi Yoshida loves Metacritic because he tweets it out. Boom, this game's got 90 plus. Sony does shit, doesn't say anything. That's not good. For sure they can use Metacritic as their metric, right? They can, it's up to them. Like, um, I have deep respect for Yoshida-san. I think he's, he's clearly a very passionate gamer. Um, and yeah. I saw today uh, he posted a picture, a photo of his Vita and the games he's got installed on his Vita and you know, he's got a load of indie stuff. And and, um, and I was thinking, but you, we're just closing the Vita store, right? Well, we had the big store. <laughs> but decisions are made. The, these are big money-making machines, right? They're, they're companies that are looking to make money, but they're also looking to make um, significant impact and build franchises. It's not just about making money in a single in a single instance but how do you know that you're on to a winner with a thing so if you want days gone to be for and with you know i'm only using it as an example because that's the subject matter of our conversation but if you want days gone to be a long lasting five six you know iteration franchise how do you know that you're on to a winner are you sending good money after bad um, how do you know that you should invest it in a franchise like that? It's a really difficult question. And you have to have some means of having a metric. The metric might be Metacritic. It might be money. Money might not be the good one because trying to launch a new IP and measure it with money is like, well, what if it has a bad Metacritic that sells really well? Should we make another one? Is that a good logic? Well, if it's received really well, but maybe it didn't sell that well because people didn't know about it, maybe they will for the next time we can invest in marketing and understand more about how to get that product to reach the consumers that we need it to reach. Yeah. But you, you always need some kind of metric. Um, Metacritic is used, I think, quite extensively throughout the industry, to be honest, not just at Sony, but I'd be surprised if, the, if it's the only metric that they really care about. But you've got to have something. Um, even if you were using Metacritic and OpenCritic and some other stuff. Yeah, fair enough. Josh, what's your take on Metacritic? Like, you have to have some metric, David says. Uh, it's it's absolutely fine. Well, it's not exactly what he said, but he said it's fine. Just use Metacritic. He loves them so much. I'm just being well, a prick right now. I think that, <laughs> you know, Metacritic it is an imperfect source, right? Yeah. You're basically gathering... Uh, a bunch of different journalists' opinions. Equally, Metacritic is a capture of what it was when it went to review. Did you? Is that the same version of the game that you sent out at launch? Because you yeah. probably sent review copies out beforehand. Did you patch in and add fixes and fi fix things? Did those reviews get updated? So I think this is a really difficult moving target to to Very determine a metric for for a video game. Because it's not it's like a film or a book, right? You don't exactly. Books. Exactly. And that's the problem with Days Gone, though. Days Gone actually really suffered a Metacritic and review scores because of the day one bugs. If it didn't have have those plaguing it, then I'm pretty sure it would have reviewed better. Maybe that would have yeah. been spelled out. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know that. And uh, I, I'd be interested to know the correlation between game sales and Metacritic scores. Uh, I have no idea what they are, but that, if there's this study out there that's been done, that'd be interesting to know. But yeah, it is imperfect. And uh, like, I tend to really get excited about companies who do 
who put their money, I don't know if put their money where their mouth is, is the right phrase, but who invest in things that they believe in regardless of, you know, the commercial viability. That's probably very few companies that I'm describing yeah. right now. But like Death Stranding is a good example. Like, I don't know who greenlit that project, but once that game launched and I got my hands on it, I was like, I can't believe that this game got, <laughs> got greenlit. Um, I okay. loved it. I actually really liked Death Stranding, but it's just so unconventional. And that was one of Sony's biggest games. I can't remember if that was 2020 or 2019, but anyways, um, lots of marketing went into that game. See, and, this is uh, where I think Game Pass will succeed with games like Death Stranding. And the, the rumor mill is that Kojima and Microsoft are doing something together. Yes, and Microsoft is kind of taking that, the perception of my perception anyway, is that Microsoft is kind of taking that role now where they're the one who is investing in creatively risky projects and Sony is doing, the perception is they're doing kind of the opposite. Uh, I think we'll have to wait a little while to see if that actually comes to fruition. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I wish that, I hope that Metacritic isn't the be all end all. I hope they're just, I hope there's not a policy at Sony where it's like if something gets less than an yeah. 80, we're just not green lighting it, you know, hands down. I think that would be really unfortunate. Um, and I I'm hope sure that, it's not black and white, but yeah, yeah, I hope so too. Yeah, and you know, I've started uh, lately. My process of deciding what games to play next has changed, and I've watched. I've started instead of looking at scores, actually watching and listening to reviews. Like, imagine that. Like, I've for <laughs> some reason it just changed. Where I'm like, I I found a few content creators I really like. I really trust their opinions, and I'll listen to the whole review and decide at the end. Did that sound like a game I'd like to play? Instead of just looking at a score, being like, well, it's a seventy-five, so I'm probably not going to like it. Like, that's honestly a really if you want to if you want to sell yourself short and you want to miss out on a bunch of games you might like, just look at the score and don't read the review or listen to the review. Absolutely, well said. That's, I agree. I, I, used to, I used to do that. I used to be so hung up on the score, and uh, this is a while ago, but I don't do that anymore. I'm just like you, make a, make an informed decision or otherwise sell yourself short. Um, yeah. Isma, thank thank you so much for the two super chases. In Canada, Returnal is a hundred and four dollars. Outriders is ninety one dollars. Or free on Game Pass. Um, have you played uh, Outriders, David? I haven't yet. No, I actually we finished the um, the the campaign content in Sea of Thieves recently. And there's a bit oh, yeah. discussion about should we switch over to Outriders? Check that out. We'll see. I'm, I'll, I'll find out on Thursday what we by Thursday what we're going to be doing. Yeah, but that's great that you can have that conversation with your friends, knowing that it's not all Game Pass subscribers not paying whatever the hell it is seventy quid, isn't it? That's exactly. mad. That's why I think it's a seismic shift in the, the, the subscription services. Isma, thank you so much for the five dollars super chat. Um, three three PlayStation exclusives, it's three hundred and twelve dollars, while Game Pass Ultimate is two hundred and forty dollars a year, and you can play everywhere. On the other side, you you lock you're locked to a console. It hurts. So yeah, I'm in Canada. Your your prices are crazy. So. That's nuts. That's mad. That's mad. That that's insane. Um, I'm conscious of the fact that we have this is a record for Game on Daily. We have not had a stream that has lasted this long. So <laughs> I and I'm and I'm so sorry if uh, if you guys had a gentleman had to be anywhere else. Uh, no, well, nowhere to be. It's all good. Yeah, I'm it's glad because I can... past eleven, right? So you know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not heading out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, Josh, um, cancel your plans. They're all gone. <laughs> Only place I have to be is the bathroom. I'm going straight there when the stream's over. <laughs> okay. Well, well, <laughs> I, I, I will start to conclude it. Um, I just wanted to speak to and guys and guys and girls in the chat. Please do let me know as well what you guys are thinking. Um, 
what is your i, I ne we never got to ask you this or you uh, josh um josh let me start with you what is your favorite franchise gaming franchise of all time oh my gosh <laughs> that's a big question because i know like what games are my favorite but if i have to go to my favorite franchise um yeah. you know the one that comes out uh off the top of my head is the arkham series uh arkham series okay yeah because uh so my top two games of all time it's like on any given day it's super mario 64 and it's metal gear solid but those i would not say are my favorite franchises uh, definitely in my top five games of all time is arkham asylum and that's the series that every time I've gotten my hands on one of their games, I'm just like, this is the world I want to be in. This is <laughs> the gameplay is great. You know, uh, I don't tend to get open world fatigue with those games. I do wish they would go back to the Asylum uh, format, even though I, I don't know if we'll ever get another Arkham game uh, again. But uh, yeah. that's the one that comes to mind off the top of my head is, is Arkham. But yeah, Mario's up there. Metal Gear is definitely up there. Um, just trying to think of some other ones that I've played. So yeah, tomb, tomb Raider, uh, that's first one. back in the, uh, uh, PlayStation one days. I'm I'll date myself here. Like that was my, as a teenager, Tomb Raider was one of my favorite games. One of the first times I played a game where I felt like I could explore a real world, even though you go back oh, and look yeah. at the original ones. Now they look terrible, but at the time, uh, it was something else to be able to explore those, those worlds and, uh, figure out the puzzles and. Um, I do think that what Crystal Dynamics did with the the reboot was really special. I, Tomb Raider, um, Rise of the Tomb Raider, the middle one of the new ones, I think is one of the it's one of my favorite games of the generation. So, uh, got to put Tomb Raider in there. Um, Uncharted. Uh, well, actually, I'll, I'll say The Last of Us instead of Uncharted. Going with Naughty Dog. Uh, you know, The Last of Us, the first one is one of my is probably my That's third fun. favorite game of all time. And I didn't particularly like the story of The Last of Us 2, but I can't, I got to give him credit for taking some massive risks. And I finished that game and went for a walk and had a serious think about <laughs> some of my life choices after playing The Last of Us Part 2. And any game that wow. can do that for me deserves some credit. So uh, those are some that pop into my head. You've made me yeah. want to play it now that you've just said that. Same, oh. same, <laughs> same. I haven't played it yet. I'm waiting for the patch on the PS5. But yeah, that, that's made me want to play it. A lot of people say that, that it's really, it's a great game, but it's really difficult. It reminds me of that movie, Requiem for a Dream, because that's like, really, I would not watch it again, but it's such a good movie. It just makes you feel like shit after you've watched it. I yeah, think very Lost does that. Yeah, it was a very thought-provoking game for me personally. I've said on another podcast that I I actually related to Ellie, not in the not in the sense that she's like a mass murdering zombie killer, but <laughs> the fact that just I, I won't get into it, but just the way the story goes, I felt that some of her uh, beats were very relatable to me, and uh, yeah, loved what Naughty Dog did there. Even though, just like many people, I would I wish they had taken the story in a different direction, but uh, yeah. No, that's good. Well, the way well, well, Josh has framed it in a better way, what, if you can name your best favorite franchise, maybe top three games. <laughs> that's a tough question. Because uh, also, he, he named a load of really great franchises. I'm like, oh man, maybe Metal Gear is in my top series. Because, I, I mean, I think it, it must be close, whether it's Halo 1 or Metal Gear Solid, as to which game I finished the most. Um, I think I've played through Metal Gear Solid maybe 15 times and um, my there are certain times when they yeah yeah I mean, I mean and Halo I've uh -huh. done about that many times as well oh yeah probably but yeah the 
there are certain franchises where they, when, if they bring out a new iteration, you're just buying it. It's not a question, you're just getting it. Um, yeah. Halo is one of those. Metal Gear, rest in peace. Um, <laughs> Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe we'll not. Have you heard the rumor? Yeah, I've seen the rumors. I've seen it. Um, <laughs> Final Fantasy is a big one for me. Dragon Quest series um, as well. Um, I'm, I am... I'm a very social gamer, so I love MMOs particularly. Um, so my, my favorite game of all time is Final Fantasy XI, which was uh, the MMO one that didn't come out in, in Europe, apart from a PC much later than the US. Um, okay. And I publicly stated on my Twitter, if Square Enix want to pay me less money than what I get right now to come and upgrade Final Fantasy XI, and I will happily take that job and work remote, whatever they need, call me Square Enix. I but heard recently that people are still playing Final Fantasy XI. I'm still playing Final Fantasy XI. Yeah. So yeah, oh, yeah wow. I'm still subbed. And um, I'm subbed to 14 and Dragon Quest X as well. But um, I find that I only really have time for one MMO. And so I kind of need to cancel some subs. But yeah, <laughs> top franchises would be, yeah, Final Fantasy, um, Dragon Quest, um, Halo or Metal Gear—that that would be a really tricky choice between the two. Got me uh, Halo. Come on. I I love Halo so much. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think uh, many people would disagree with me on this, but I think that Halo Five has the best multiplayer in the Halo series. Um, we won't get into the single player, but the, the multiplayer was amazing. Yeah. And I think I put like I don't know seven eight hundred hours into it. Like, Jeez. Okay. Yeah. Do you do you do you play battle royale games? Do you do you like battle royale? Um, so my, my friend Steve and I we play Overwatch all the time, and we got to the point where we could not look at Overwatch anymore because we were like two thousand hours in, and it was just too much. And yeah. So we switched to playing some PUBG, and we had some real great fun with that. It was, it was awesome. Um, but that's that's probably the only the only one I've delved into. Oh, you need to play Apex Legends, man. If especially like Overwatch. Yeah, yeah, I, I do need to do that. Um, it's such a good game. The fighting for related content, right? And yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I need to check that out. It's mostly, um, I, I think, when that game came out, it was right at the height of my Overwatch obsession and uh, time. And I think I do wonder about that for gamers that now we've got so many games that run as a service, they don't go away. How much time do we have? And is time and getting the gamers' attention going to be the bigger problem going forward? It is for me. It yeah. is for a lot of us. Yeah. I all that plays Overwatch. The stack oh, yeah. of stuff that I bought this week of games is just silly. I've got it all sat next to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll take, take the guys through what I bought this week. And I'm like, there, there is no way I am finishing these games. <laughs> it's not happening. So, yeah. yeah. That's a problem. But it's a good, good problem to have. Lots of games. Lots Did of you have any reaction to the uh, Blizzard news that uh, Jeff, was it Jeff Kaplan is his name, left? Yeah, I'm, I'm really sad about that. I really like Jeff. I think that, you know, he, uh, the way he presents himself and the team and the, the kind of humor and character that he brings to it as well. Um, I think he's obviously led that team really well and uh, very happy with Overwatch over the years. I think it was a very difficult game to sustain, but I think that they've, they've done a really good job. I'm super excited about Overwatch 2, and I think that the loss of Jeff has kind of put a, a, a dampener on that for me. I'm a bit like, oh, now I'm, now I'm going to have to approach it with a bit more 
caution is yeah. how I feel about it. Um, I'm going to have to have a look at it and see how does it really turn out. Does it maintain the tone? It makes me nervous. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's the strength of industry people. If Phil Spencer left, people would be the same at Xbox. Xbox fans. Can you imagine? Oh, <laughs> David's man. face is like, well, I got That's how big a move that would be. Um, guys in chat, thank you so much for joining. If you enjoy the uh, show, please smash that like button. Thank you so much. I know it's been a, a long one, but it's been a great one. I could I could go on for another three hours easily. Um, but, you know, I'm conscious of the time and Josh will <laughs> soil himself at this rate. But thank you. Oh, honestly, um, gents, thank you so much. Josh, again, thank you so much. Uh, for, and you had some really well, a lot better questions than I had prepared, and I've got. Oh, I don't know about it. that. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure you did. Uh, but thank you so much, Josh. Um, and tell people where they can find you. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I'm Quest. As you can see by my name, my name's Josh, but I'm uh, Quest Mode on YouTube. It's just YouTube.com/slash Quest Mode. Uh, I post uh, previews to my channel, mostly previews, uh, kind of highly edited, highly researched previews of upcoming games. So if that sounds like something you are interested in, check me out there. I'm also on Twitter at quest mode games so uh yeah i'll hope to see you on my channel thanks for having me guys uh, it's always a pleasure i hope to come back again sometime soon absolutely oh and i forgot to touch uh, touch you must be gutted death loop got delayed right me i was almost that. i was almost done with that video i just posted a death loop preview to my channel it was like 45 minutes and i was almost done and then they're like delayed but i still <laughs> posted it so if you're curious about death loop i happen to think that uh is one of the most interesting games uh coming up in the next few months so if you're as interested as i am uh check it out yeah definitely great, great. preview by the way thanks so yeah looks, it looks sick the that, like there are developers that you just go oh i'm buying that yep. yeah, yeah arcane man i yeah, actually just played right. dishonored for the first time recently and i was just like really? why did i why was i sleeping on this franchise it's so good incredible absolutely incredible game I could, think yeah, about I the makeup, and makeup. Later. thanks i've just found it on twitter I'm, i've I've followed you on Twitter as you gave me your name. I will now check out your video when we Awesome. Yeah, please do. I, uh, that 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 actually means a lot. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. Um, before we go, um, thank you so much to Dodge Knight. Big support of our show. He's part of the family. Great show, guys. First time here. I've subscribed. He's such a liar. He just sits. He's in our videos all the time. Uh, Gaz, <laughs> I, I want some saucy merchandise ASAP. I don't want to just slap our logos like I've just done here. There's, I want to have like a season thing with with our stuff we'll have an essential suite some thought behind the merch that you will appreciate some you know because a lot of people do that which is fine but i want to have some thought about it thank you so much isma you've been making it rain with your super chats greatest show thank you all to the panel yes thank you um thank you so much for your support it means a lot um last but certainly not least david uh, you are always a shining beacon when it comes to this and i've been purposely antagonistic and being a bit of freak just so highlight how great you are and i'm wishing you all the best with uh with code masters i think it's gonna be supremely positive especially with someone like you leading it um i hope you enjoyed the show oh it's uh, always i had a great time last time i was on the show and i was so thrilled when you reached out to ask me if i wanted to come back so thank you so much for for inviting me and for having me on and putting up with my non-answers so uh, <laughs> thanks very much no really, really i do have a great time so thank you I do have one more question that might get a non-answer, but uh, can okay. we expect it? Can we expect to see Codemasters at E3? I could not possibly comment on that. And really, <laughs> uh, like the the wide range of products that we make um, at the stage of planning that they go into for something like that, I wouldn't even know. So yeah. 
Fair at, enough. At point, because I work on a studio level at, at, at the Dirt 5 studio, the other teams, they will tell me that those things are very closely guarded, right? So I don't need to know that. That, that can be kind of a bit separate. So yeah. Very so, good. Yeah, when Once when you... it happens and I see it on Twitter, I'll be like, there, there you go. There you go, Josh. It's happening. <laughs> All right. When you start getting embedded a little bit into EA, I'm going to slide into your DMs and ask you about what's happening with Battlefield 6. Um, but I think they're going to show off that. Very Just soon. in case anyone from uh, Legal is watching, I will not be replying to the DM. <laughs> oh, I wouldn't do that to you. Uh, thank you. Uh, Asa, uh, sorry I had those problems. I had a power cut. I hope that I don't know what's happened in the midst of that. And I'm sure I caused you stress, but it wasn't my fault. But Asa, can you do the outro, please, before I mess it up again? Um, yeah, no, that's really not your fault at all, guys. You don't control the power there or anything else, so you are forgiven. <laughs> um, thanks so much, David and Josh, for that. It's like, really enjoyable. And David, you say you give us non-answers, but you don't. You give us so much. Um, yeah. So, yeah, that's really appreciated. Thank you, everybody that's turned up again and everybody that's watching after the fact. I'm sure we'll get a long tail on this one of people watching it. So I hope you've enjoyed it, and we will see you next time. Peace.